Hey friends, I'm back from my brief hiatus the last couple of months. Life really got busy for a time. I had my son's first birthday in April and also dealt with the loss of a family member. So I had lots of highs and lows, but I'm happy to be back with my party. Episode three and four are going to release back to back in the same month so I can get them out there and hopefully get back on track with my release schedule. Episode three was recorded back in March, but didn't get published, so it'll be a little bit shorter because I cut out the part about upcoming releases since all those games are out now. Everyone knows a ton about them, so I figured people probably didn't want to hear that again. Uh, then in June, I should be back to a regular schedule of new episodes coming out on the last Tuesday of the month. Uh, I'm super excited for this summer. There's lots of events going on, lots of showcases and game shows, and uh, just lots of upcoming news that I'm really excited to dive into this summer. So thank you for listening. I appreciate you and uh, hope you guys enjoy the content. Do you want? Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Yeah, it's just we're just going to be talking. It's going to get darker and darker. I was digging the natural sunlight, but I guess that's going away now. Yeah, it's going to be gone in like five minutes. All right. Welcome to Gather Party Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin, a husband, dad, lifelong gamer. And this podcast is about video games, news, upcoming games, and kind of anything uh, that me and my friends feel like talking about today. And speaking of friends, I have a guest today that I'm super excited about because he's my first ever return guest to the show uh jordan aka thug nasty aka our local uh friendly neighborhood cinephile has come back to grace us with his presence jay how you doing man hey kev doing pretty all right thank you again for thinking of me and asking about uh me to come back here uh yeah i'm just really excited to be here and uh down i'm game for talking about whatever you want yeah it was a no-brainer i got a lot of i got a lot of positive feedback about the first episode that we did and especially uh, all the information that you shared on there. People were really impressed, so you did real good. That's good to hear. Um, <laughs> I don't know a whole... I, one thing I remember for the first one, I did talk about wrestling quite a bit. I am not a wrestling person. I know WrestleMania or whatever's going on right now. Don't ask me anything about it. I don't know anything about it. I know people who went, but I didn't go. I don't think we'll get into wrestling again. I think that was just a spur of the moment yeah, random yeah. thing that we got into. That's so cold open. Yeah. Uh, how are things going in your life? Any major updates? Things have been going pretty all right. Um, taking it a bit easy this year. I'm usually one that like to travel around and go do some stuff. Um, last year I went to like Grand Canyon. I went to Texas. Uh, this year I'm looking about taking it a bit back. Uh, just more or less staying locally as far as travels and stuff and sightseeing. Just trying to, you know, take it a little easy this year. Just spend more time with friends and family locally this time around. Nice. Um, as far as more personal stuff, um, birthday's coming up this month. Uh, I'm getting closer to getting 30. Um, turned like 29, I think, this year. So yeah, you're yeah, you're, you're, you're younger mortality, than me. You know, <laughs> <laughs> April is it 26? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I got it right. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Birthdays are hard to remember. Oh, of course. Yeah, I was. Uh, funny enough, we have a friend who has a birthday really close to yours, and I was just talking to him today. And I was telling him I birthdays are hard for me to remember, but you and Nick's birthday is always like ingrained in my mind for some reason because <laughs> they're the day apart, and yeah. I remember. So 
I just remember that one time we celebrated your birthday and then on midnight celebrated his. So and now we that's combine our candles together. Yeah, it's Eagle forever just stuck in my mind now. So I never forget that one. You know what's hard to remember? Um, in this digital age that we're in, uh, phone numbers. Like you used to have to write down someone's phone number from like a phone book or whatever and call their family and stuff. Well, not call their family, have to call the family to reach the specific person. But now since we're in this digital age where everyone's number is just on your like your phone uh, remembering just their digits isolated and such is such a hard thing nowadays like i could probably name maybe five people's maybe fours people's number off the top of my head um that's really impressive that you could name four <laughs> i think uh i can name one phone number and it's savannah's and that's yeah. about it i, I could i could do my parents my parents my sister my girlfriend and somebody whose number I give the GameStop guy for all the pre-owned rentals and shit, so that way he gets like points and whatnot. So those are like the five numbers I remember. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, I think that's pretty good. Five numbers, because uh, I mean, when you multiply that by, you know, what is that? Ten. So that's fifty numbers you memorize. <laughs> that's pretty good. It's... I guess the area code is the same on most of the numbers, but <laughs> yeah, most of the area code's the same. It's it it is interesting. It's something we take for granted as far as you know, like how ease of access everything has become and just you know like requires less thought like why think about too hard how to reach someone or you know our interconnectivity when it's just there it's not something we put a lot of like thought in we're just connected and that's what this digital age is just like brought upon you know yeah you've been participating in lint you mentioned to me how's that uh, going yeah Yeah, it's going all right i gave up drinking for this time around um just kind of um, yeah, just kind of noticed that, uh, last year I was drinking quite a bit and I just kind of need to, you know, just like go on a bit, take it a little bit easy. Um, one thing I know my girlfriend, um, she's the librarian alcoholic that was like close to her at some point in life and, uh, thinking about it, just, I might've became a little too comfortable with drinking. There wasn't an issue between us or anything. It's just, I'm trying to be a little more conscientious about how much I drink and especially like around her and such. Not saying it was ever like an issue or such, but, you know, just trying to be a considerate kind of person and whatnot. So I just want to make sure that I was going kind of clean for like this month and then just see how long I go. And plus, I don't know, just <laughs> I'm, I am a social drinker. I drink socially with other friends. I did get kind of comfortable for a while, just maybe one or two drinks at home at a week, you know, and such. And, uh, all things are good in moderation, but I think it's also good to just practice, um, you know, just preservation of things that um, you find enjoyable, you know, like taking breaks and such. Yeah, definitely. And I don't think, I mean, drinking alcohol, you know, some people will claim there is some health benefit to it, to like having a drink once in a while. But uh, I was listening to a recent podcast, um, the Huberman Lab, which is he's like a Stanford researcher and professor. And he did a podcast on alcohol and kind of, he is unbiased. Like he just wanted to present the facts about what alcohol does to your body. Mm-hmm. And there was no benefit at all to ever drinking alcohol. So it's never a bad thing to cut it out. Yeah. And I know I try and drink less too now, but that's more so just for health reasons. And I feel like I drink enough for a lifetime <laughs> for a person. Oh, so I should health. probably try and spare my body any more of that abuse. Speaking of health, do you remember like my my crazy metabolism I've had and such? Yeah, that's gone now. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, what is it? Since uh, it kind of came into factor with also me realizing my corn allergy and such. I found out I was allergic to corn last summer, 
So um, I'm not waking up with like morning sickness anymore since I cut out corn from like everything. So like that's things like soda, popcorn, um, some candies and snacks just because they're corn syrup, corn starch, like everything yeah. in um, – You love corn. Mushrooms. I feel like I saw you eat a lot of corn things when we were living Bro, together. I love movies. <laughs> I used to eat popcorn all the time. Now, I, now I'm at a movie theater. I'm at a movie theater. I can't eat anything over there now. Yeah. But um, – yeah, since I cut that off, like, I'm able to retain food more, and I'm like, oh, wow, so this is what it's like to, like, eat and be hungry all the time. And so, uh, <laughs> yeah, I put on, like, 15, 20 pounds since summer last year. Dang. Well, you don't look it. You look healthy. Oh, well, thank you. Um, I suppose I am where my body needs to be now instead of, like, the smaller, skinnier frame. So it's... yeah. It's I'm sure I would notice if you were wearing like spandex right now or in like a full cosplay, it'd probably show a little there, bit. There are a couple clothes that don't fit me as good anymore, I have realized. So yeah. come my fancy vests that I wore when I was college era, maybe late high school, they just don't cut it no more. Yeah. Well, you're probably ready now for the no shirt Hulk cosplay. <laughs> <laughs> One would hope. Any, uh, any cons you're going to anytime soon? Fanime's coming up in May. That's a big That's one. here in Fresno, right? Uh, no, that's over in San Jose. Oh, so it's a San so Jose. A, it's a, a four-day event, twenty-four-hour con. You can go there at like two thirty in the morning. There's like videos and stuff you can go do. Vendors halls typically close, but there's like panels and like anime movie nights that they'll hold like all night, just like playing. You could binge watch an entire series because they'll play it like all like throughout. Like I think they did Attack on Titan binge watch and whatnot a few years back. Uh, but yeah, that's one of the bigger anime conventions of like the country, if I'm not mistaken, of definitely in like one the biggest anime in California, right next to like anime um, LA or ALX, I think is what they call it. Um, besides that, what I'm currently looking towards, um, I typically like Ren fairs a lot, but this year I want to go into horror conventions. So there's one also like in Pasadena, I think, or such, somewhere in SoCal, um, Monster Palooza. Is coming there this summer and they're going to have quite a bit big name actors um robert england so the original freddy krueger is going to be there they are also going to have uh bruce campbell from evil dead series yeah, he's nice. also going to be there another individual who is i've met once before such a nice guy uh doug jones so he is a known um creature actor so he's known professionally for putting on outfits and just being like anthropomorphic like animals or creatures or monsters and such and some of his films are um the oscar award-winning uh the shape of water where he was the the fish man another oh, yeah, film yeah. he was um you have a picture with him on your instagram don't you yes i did yeah, so there was a convention him. in modesto like years back that I saw Doug Jones like doing like autographs or meetups and stuff like that, but his line was so long, and I thought I'm never going to meet him. Like it's just taking too long, and I'm already too late by the time I noticed that. So I was just kind of like, all right, well, there went that moment. And then after me and my friends that were at that con, we went to the Denny's nearby to go and eat, and that guy showed up. He was there. Oh, no you know, I was like, wait, that's Doug Jones, isn't it? Like he just came from the con to see Denny's, and then I, oh my gosh, like I. As we were leaving, I didn't want to bother him too much. I told him that, like, Doug Jones, I saw you at the con. I really wanted to meet you, but you were seemed extremely busy. And I'm sorry to bother you, but you are such an amazing person. Like, you are, you have so many great iconic roles. And he was like, oh, you know what? Well, thank you so much. And it's always a pleasure hearing from a fan. And uh, this is this is so wonderful to hear from you. Would you would you like to take a picture? I'm like, yes. And so like I sat down next to him at the Denny's and like you took a picture. And oh my God, it's like the blurriest picture. I hate it. But <laughs> I got a picture with him. I was so happy. And like he like 
like he, he just wanted to give me a hug too and i was like this guy's so friendly like this guy's in movies where he's like grotesque creatures and monsters and he's just he just wants to give hugs and he's just a warm individual you could just you could just feel that from him and i i would love to meet him again uh, in this convention yeah it that's awesome great. when you get to meet fan uh like stars or someone that you really look up to and they turn out to just be a really nice person because that always sucks when you meet someone and they big time you or uh don't give you the time of day a couple people i've heard that are like that uh jack nicholson i hear he's like that um william shatner too he he does not like meeting people if i'm not mistaken uh they're just people that are like you're you're going to bother me get out of my way kind of thing is like yeah I, but I can understand that they both have very, I feel, obsessed fans. Jack Nicholson, he's a many-time Oscar-nominated like actor. Um, William Shatner, one of the biggest names in Star Trek and in sci-fi in general. And so, you know, I'm sure part of that culture, there's people that indulge and love it, uh, being part of, like, fandoms. And there's others that kind of more or less just see it as a job or just become too overwhelmed and don't want to be... You know, just caught up in a lot of like the fan glamour that kind of happens where they're just keep seeing themselves just be pestered by people. And you know what? Some people just like to be a little more isolated, a little more I want me time. And it feels a little hard like that when you're like maybe a celebrity, you know, and there's people that are always just wanting to be, you know, bothering you. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure when you get to a certain point, too, you have to be really cautious of the people you interact with. And uh, I'm sure... Uh, just any random person off the street, you have to be a little bit cautious too. So right on. That's awesome. So you're going, you're, are you going to anime con? Or are you just going to the whole anime is a toss up. I would like to typically people have hotels booked a few weeks after like the dates are announced, but um, we'll see if anything, I could probably do a day trip. would like to dress up. If not, maybe, you know, can see about doing a hotel with a friend or something for like at least a night we'll see we'll see uh monster palooza i really want to push for i really like to go to uh, there are some things i want to get autographed do you have a are you going to dress up for uh monster palooza if i do it had to be some kind of horror themed thing so maybe something from dead by daylight i don't think i've seen a cosplay of yours that's horror themed i got a couple i got a couple uh i got a bioshock one i'm the big daddy doll oh yeah i'd count that as horror yeah um, a character from Dead by Daylight, the Legion. So the most easiest costume to cosplay from Dead by Daylight, but hey. <laughs> yeah, Hotline Miami too. I'd consider those cosplays. Uh, yeah, it's a uh, Hotline Miami is certainly a visceral game, yeah. bloody game. So for a horror convention, anything gory, you know, yeah. like it's welcome with open arms. I'm sure. Yeah. You must gather your party before venturing forth. Well, Jay, uh, has there been any games you've been playing uh, this past month? Um, actually, yeah. There's been a couple games I've been playing. Um, as known, the most current console I have right now is um, the Nintendo Switch. Um, I don't have like the PS5 or the Xbox Series X. Uh, Switch is a convenient console to take around. Uh, but the game I have been playing is um, Bayonetta Origins, uh, Cereza and the Lost Demon. So this is a spin-off of the mainline series of the Bayonetta games, which is a hack and, known hack-and-slash shooter. Um, this one is a, a cooperative puzzle game where it's 
cooperative, but it's still single player. It, what's really interesting is it's a storybook art style. Uh, characters are hand drawn. It's a lot of reminiscent of the um, uh, what is it? The Okami games just uh, has its very similar, just hand drawn art style. And what's interesting about the mechanics is that the controllers are split in half. So one side of the controller is one character where the other side is another character. And you need to work these characters together to progress further and further in the game. So there's things where you'll need to use your magic to bind certain enemies. So that's only one character can do that. And then the other character will need to either protect your other character as they're casting or um, set up combos to distract. So that way your other character um, does the magic or whatever might be needed. So uh, it's, it's really different. It feels like I need two brains in my one body to try to split up you know you got to sh- split the brain cell to share and uh <laughs> control both characters uh it feels like it was made for two players honestly i was but... gonna say it sounds like a low-key uh like couch co-op game if you so, just give half the controller to so someone. i've actually done that <laughs> i played that with my girlfriend and another friend of mine uh we uh, just play the game i'm like here's the controller you play this character i'll do this one and uh yeah it's pretty interesting there are some parts where you kind of need both controllers in the sense that there's dialogue parts where you'll need to, where it's text scroll, so one controller needs to press A while the other one looks up or down or such like that or scrolls through. But that's easily remedied just by verbally, you know, communicating amongst each other. Um, but yeah, no, it's essentially just a couch co-op game uh, disguised as a single-player immersive game, which you could totally play a single-player. As stated, it's just each side of the controller is shared or is uses up a different character, so it's could be played either or totally can be advertised as a split uh, as a couch co-op and i think it's just a very oh what would i say it is a very just chill game it's very calming it's not the high octane action that the bayonetta series is known for it's deliberately just a very relaxing game you look at it the art style is pleasing there's wisps in the forest you have to fight fairies i mean the fairies are kind of like fae so like they are like the bad guy fairies of like the lore and of like ancient fairies you know that's not like tinkerbell fairy not cute they're these fairies are capturing children and witches and like preserving their souls and shit like that so uh but um you know it certainly has its own charm and it's just very very homely very homely all the art style and the aesthetics is very pleasing yeah i watched some gameplay of it because i last episode when i was looking at upcoming games i saw that one and i thought of you because we had just talked about bayonetta in the first episode and i was like i wonder if jay's gonna play this game absolutely i wish i was having you on uh the second episode we could have talked about it but um yeah it looked like it was uh it reminded me a lot of alice in wonderland i think they drew some inspiration from there because the the demon character is named Cheshire, isn't he? It is. This isn't the first time we met the character Cheshire in the Bayonetta lore. In fact, uh, there was a Cheshire doll in the first game. Not in the second one, but it did pop up a few times in the third game. But yeah, the turnaround for this game was surprising because it took like six years to make Bayo 3, like six and a half. And then after that game was made, they're like, surprised you're getting another whole Bayonetta game in like five months. And they're, everyone's like, what? <laughs> I mean, this definitely makes up for the time we didn't have one, but this is just a surprising turn. And they're like, yep, nope, it's going to be this totally different style, and it's not going to be like the other games, but it is in the band of the universe. And so it's a, it's a great departure, and I think an excellent entry point for those that aren't into the 
like I said, maybe into the deep mechanics and the combo-heavy portions of a hack and slash, but want to still feel something that's very warm, witchy, and just aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, because the story of the game takes place before the events of Bayonetta. It's when she's a young child, right? Yeah, so this uh, story is about uh, Cereza. And um, Cereza is, um, yes, a young witch who's been exiled by the Umbran witches, and she is going on a journey to try to discover how she could save her mom from uh, imprisonment. I've never played any of the Bayonetta games. So is Sreza the name of the protagonist in Bayonetta? I suppose it's not a spoiler to say that that is not incorrect. Bayonetta has been known as Sreza. Oh, okay. I was a little bit confused for a second. So it's <laughs> it, it just ties into the first game because the first game, it's very obvious what happens once you are introduced to a certain character, but they try to play it off like it's a secret so this game kind of can tie into that. So it's spoiler, not spoiler, as long as you, I don't know, have a decent understanding of story structure and like what a <laughs> very obvious reveal may be. But yeah, Cereza is Bayonetta. Okay. I don't think that's that big of a spoiler. Yeah, I don't me, think. me either. It just... I think it was just me not knowing <laughs> about any of the uh, the lore or world behind it. Oh, I'd, I'd argue that at least for definitely for the first Bayonetta, maybe in the second one. Um, they are very much to me how I see Dark Souls, where they are, there is not a whole lot of story, but there is a ton of lore. You know yeah. what? I might have to say there is, excuse me, it's probably better to say that there's more lore than what is being presented to you. So there is story, but it's confusing unless you like read the lore and like the codex and stuff like that that you're given to. Yeah, or if you're like me and uh, you let someone else do the work and then just look up a YouTube video that explains uh, the lore behind certain things. For sure. Did a lot of that when playing through Dark Souls. For sure. Um, there but. definitely is cutscenes and stuff that explains it. But at some point, you know, this the first game definitely lays down a lot of the fundamental groundwork. Excuse me, the prequel lays down a lot of the fundamental groundwork of what the world actually is. Once you start Bayonetta 1, you just see her character, like you find out their suit's made of hair and that's like, all right, cool. And that she's can d defy like physics and stuff like that. I was like, all right, well, I mean, you know, it's just really interesting. It, but like once you um, are explained like in lore and like codexes and whatnot, you know, like things are like, okay, so this is the world that you're trying to make. So, all right. Nice. Yeah. And how um, many hours into it are you? Whew, I am about 60% done. Um, so 10 hours, I think 10, 15, maybe. That's a good. Uh, it is that's a good length of game. Yeah, for, there's there's it's a lot longer than I thought it would be. It's probably probably actually maybe almost done, because it's one of those. Uh, what was it? Final Fantasy was very the first one was very about this, where it's like find the four elements and then after that fight the final boss kind of deal. Oh yeah. So th that that game does have that trope in it. So I have like three of the four elements. So I just need to find the last element and do the final boss kind of thing. So, um, yeah, but I feel like it's saying like it's at a low percentage because I'm trying to get through like a lot of the story. So once after that, it's all the exploration stuff that I need to find. So I need to save a bunch of witches that are stuck in the forest, uh, save the wisps, um, explore and find all these other stuff. But, uh, yeah, so that's a game I'm having a lot of fun with, uh, very enjoy and totally recommend trying co-op with that. It's, it could be kind of nutty, but also fun. <laughs> any other games or any movies you watched, uh, this last month? Um, movies, yeah. John Wick 4. 
Oh, yeah, I've heard good things about it. I haven't seen, uh, I've only seen part of John Wick 1. I haven't watched really any of the John Wick movies. What are we doing here? Dude, let me just pull these out right now. We'll just watch. Like, <laughs> uh, no, Do a but, live uh, reaction. I guess yeah. not live. A pre-recorded reaction. Yeah. Uh, what is it? John Wick is, uh, it's hard to believe, but I find it to be 100% true. Each movie is better than the last, which is such a hard feat to accomplish. Yeah. For four movies in. But yeah, you, you see one movie and it's like, wow, that's great. And then you're like, see the second, you're like, wow, okay, well, how are they going to top this? And then each movie is like that. I was like, wow, how are they going to top this? Every time. I actually just watched it for the second time last night, John Wick in theaters. I, I had a friend who said, I only saw the first one. I was like, we're going to watch them all and then we're going to go to the movies and we're going to watch the fourth one. And it was great. He thoroughly enjoyed it. I did too for the second time around. There's actually... Quite a few inspirations you see in this one. So if I'm not mistaken, either the I think one of the directors for this film was actually Keanu Reeves' uh, stunt coordinator or stunt double or like stunt assistant from The Matrix. So he's very familiar with like doing action scenes stuff like that. He really wanted to go all out for an action movie. It was like this is going to be just an insane movie. I know all about stunts and action, so we're going to just get as much as we can, do all the crazy stuff we could do, and throw it in here. And yeah. Some of the cool nods in there. There's actually a nod to the Warriors in this film. It is something really cool. Another you're t- thing. You're talking about the 1970s yeah. Warriors movie. Yeah. Warriors! Yeah. That <laughs> film. There's a nod to the Warriors in there, which is super cool. Uh, I'm not going to get too much into spoilery stuff. Uh, a lot of the set pieces are really cool. There is a clear... A lot of people are talking about this scene, but there is a clear indication of a video game um, inspiration that they bring into the movie that is like totally mind-blowing. No, you're not going to let us know. What I, it can't, is right now. I can't. I can't. <laughs> I'll take your word for it then that it's mine. It is, it is super cool. It is totally different from what we've seen from action movies. I had to Google and check to see if there's been an action movie that replicated this, what they saw. Well, what we saw in like theaters. Like, has any movie ever done this? And so far, it's I haven't seen anything. But um, I will give a shout out to an obscure indie game that they said was reference or that was their reference, which is referenced by another indie game that I enjoy a lot. But that indie game that they said was one of their inspirations was a uh, Hong Kong Massacre, I believe. Oh, okay. Um, that has a different name, right? For isn't there an American game that has a different name than that? There is a Western game that inspired Hong Kong Massacre, but it is a specific type of shooter, and um, the Western game was the inspiration for that. So in line, there's like two games that inspired a certain scene in John Wick that's like three, four, five minutes long, but it is like excellent action something that it, it changes the game i feel as far as like how we can perceive an action scene and i honestly rank john wick for in the upper echelon of one of the greatest modern action movies of all time the only other movie i could feel that can compete with this is mad max fury road wow that's an impressive review yeah i don't know i guess now i have to check out john wick you know, I watched I watched the first one on TV, so it was an edited version. That's why I don't know if I finished it, but I think I did watch all the way to the end of the first one. But I remember thinking it was good, but I was like, you know, I, I get the gist of John Wick. I think it's just an action movie. I don't think I need to watch three others. But Have you ever heard of fridging? No, I haven't. So fridging is this trope that was introduced, if I'm not mistaken, from a Green Lantern comic. So in this Green Lantern comic, he had like a wife or such, and uh, later on in the issue or whatnot, he comes home and he finds his wife dead. She was stuffed in the fridge. 
and uh, he vows for revenge, and this helps him um, motivate his character to go on and pursue the evil, the big bad, and um, eventually he goes through a journey where he becomes better and such. So the term fridging means that a character who probably has very little screen time, speaking lines, or personality in of itself is sacrificed for another character to become better and go through the evolution. So this is what this term fridging is. So one thing that I thought of recently was that, is there fridging in John Wick? People are like, yeah, the wife died like at the start. Oh, like, here's the thing. She died more or less before the movie even started. So we see like the funeral right when the movie starts. So the regular John Wick movie. So, and then he gets the dog. So he's like at peace. So mm -hmm. she is not the journey for him. Unfortunately, everyone knows the dog does die. So yeah, it is fair. That, it is so. fair to assume that the dog actually is the fridge itself and not the wife, which is kind of funny because typically it is like the wife or the female partner. Um, there's another movie that came out recently. Um, I'm not going to go too much into detail of which one, but it's very popular right now. You might have seen it, but they have an example of fridging in there, and I I wasn't for it um, just because it's kind of becoming like a bit of a tiresome trope, but. Uh, yeah, John Wick is, to be fair, I totally think that the dog was fridged. And at best, the wife might be a mini fridge, <laughs> is how I would dub her. But uh, but yeah, no, um, it is aware um, later on that it's like, he does this for a dog. And he's like, it's more than a dog. So he just, it just leans into it. And uh, I think it's quite enjoyable. You're there for the ride, for the action. Um, you know, you don't need to think too hard about the story. It's very minimalist. But for what it is, it is a... It is a parade and a ballet of bullets and action. You'll have to check that out. So most of the, it's hard for me to watch movies nowadays um, just because I don't always have the time with Sid. Mm -hmm. And since I'm married too, we have to, you know, usually we have to pick movies that we both enjoy to watch. So sometimes that's hard to do too. But action movies, I think, are one that Savannah enjoys a lot. So I might be able to convince her to watch John Wick. Do you recommend that we watch all the earlier ones before 4? Yeah, no, I, I would say lead into it because your your mind is going to be blown each time you go to the new one. You're going to see some set pieces and action scenes and you're like, wow, this is great. And, you know, you're just going to go to the next one and be like, even better, even better, even better. And it's it feels rewarding to just be... Uh, it feels like sticking through it, you just get rewarded for seeing each new set piece. It's... It's like, it kind of reminds me in Doom in a sense where they're, it's like an arena shooter. You, the, John works all of a sudden in a new room with bad guys and he's got to take them out and you just watch him like take everyone out. And it is fantastic. I think they did a, a statistic of it. By the end of John Wick 3, he has killed like 306 people. So he averages about a kill of like 101 people per movie. That's impressive. With the first movie being, what, like 90 minutes, maybe 100 minutes, he kills a person every minute. <laughs> it was insane. Nice. That's, uh, yeah, that's uh, a, that's uh, insane uh, KD that he's going to have at the end of his lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But, yeah, John Wick 4, outstanding. Um, if you can watch them all, I totally recommend watching them all. If you don't know, you know, if, you, if you'd be even into it, um like that's fair because you know some people look a little more for depth in their story some people just aren't into action or like gunplay and stuff like that you know but um i think it's fun i think the whole series is fun 
You think it's gonna make a, an Oscar nominee? No. <laughs> so action films don't often do, if anything, sometimes especially not action... the fourth in a series. <laughs> so there's been history of some movies that aren't the first that have won awards. The example, one of them, um, Top Gun Maverick won an Oscar this previous yes, year. Yes, yeah, it did. It won Best Sound. I didn't watch that one either. I I didn't see that. Um, another movie, the I most feel like famous one sequel, Top Gun movie was enough for my lifetime. I think <laughs> the most famous sequel that has won the most awards, um, Lord of the Rings: The Return of the King, the third film, oh, yeah. is if I'm not mistaken, the has the most Oscar awards of all time. I think it has like eleven out of the twenty three nominees or nominations or categories. It has like eleven of them. So that's one that wasn't the first, but just like absolutely swept. Yeah. Um, but if I was to give it anything for that one scene that I can't spoil for you, I would say cinematography. For that, for that scene alone. And I've been pretty fire with my guesses because this past year I guessed that I might have mentioned Black Panther or the Wakanda Forever. How they had the, the suits for... Um, for the antagonist and like his guys where they had like this lionfish Aztec warrior inspired suit. I was like, that is an S tier design. It needs to win. It did win best costume yeah. that year. Yeah. I got best costume. Yeah. I know you had a few predictions that ended up being correct. I think from our first episode. So sadly I had an Oscars part watch party and I did not get first. That was fine. Um, I took some risky bets just because of some of the categories that were there. I felt, is it what I want that's going to win, or is it what the Academy wants that's going to win? It's That's not an entirely obvious statement, but the Academy kind of leans towards certain things that it can yeah. be a safe bet. Definitely. But we could we could save this conversation for if we go with a little more into depth about Oscars and such. But uh, yeah, so John Wick movie I love seeing right now. I'm almost down for a third time. There's very few movies I've seen a third time in theaters. And uh, Bayonetta Origins, Serez and the Lost Demon, just a really cozy game. Nice. Uh, what about you, my man? Uh, so, well, most recently, this past weekend, I played the Diablo 4 beta that was open. Oh, from KFC? <laughs> no, I didn't get the code from the Double Down. <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. man. <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, wow. What a, uh, what a collab I never knew uh, would exist in my lifetime. The KFC Blizzard Diablo uh, collab. But no, I didn't. They ended up opening the beta up to everyone. So they I, say I, man I could only handle three double downs in his lifetime. I believe it. I've already had, I think I've had it once in my lifetime. <laughs> so I'm saving, I'm saving those two that, more times. <laughs> that thing is keto friendly. Did you know that? I did not. Although I don't know much about the keto diet. But. Keto means like no carbs and no like bread and like you have to stay away from certain foods. You're going to go like Isn't all... it breaded chicken and a sandwich? So um, that is a fair point. Counterpoint. <laughs> How much bread do you really think KFC is putting in their food? I mean, I don't know. I would imagine, yeah, they're better. That's like that's like asking for a milkshake McDonald's. That is eighty percent powder, ten percent water, <laughs> and the other ten percent whatever was left over from the yeah. fries. I don't know. Yeah. Is that how they market it? That it's keto friendly? No, but oh, okay. if you think about it, it kind of is. <laughs> that's funny, but uh, you could just be like, eat our keto free. Bread free chicken sandwich. Just hold the hot meat and the cheese in between. 
Yeah, but um, but uh, I played the beta and it was really good. I was really impressed with it. I mean, I'm pretty stoked on the game, regardless if I got to play the beta, because mm-hmm. I was a big fan of the uh, Diablos one and two. I played those. Did as you play game. the third one? Uh, I did play three. Okay. Um, I didn't enjoy it as much. I mean, they. I know it had it had a really rocky launch. Mm. wasn't uh, well received because they changed a lot of gameplay mechanics and took out a lot of the RPG elements from okay. the first two. Would Diablo you say it's games. a little more streamlined? The third one. Oh yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, there's not like I mean they took out like the stats, your attributes, and things like that that okay. you could customize. They took out you know the weapon specializations, so it was really just you're getting skill points, putting them into okay. Streamlined, bared boned it a bit. Yeah. Uh, made it. So like, would you say like new user friendly? Definitely. Okay. I mean you you could grind and then you'd level up and you'd unlock a new skill, but you didn't have really any choice between what skills you unlocked. And by the end end game everyone has the same skills unlocked. Okay. There really wasn't a whole lot of build variety. And that was because they geared the game more towards the loot rather than your character build. So it was all about the end game of grinding out bosses and farming for specific loot. Okay. And so that was kind of boring for me. So I didn't enjoy Diablo three that much. I only did one playthrough of it. And it was pretty easy. I mean, I played on like the normal difficulty when I played through it, and uh, I only died once in the uh, in the expansion because I bought the like Reaper of Souls edition or whatever it was called. Um, so I played through the whole game and the expansion and died one time. Uh, okay. So it was not. I don't, very... I don't know how kill heavy the game is, but you know, a game called yeah. Diablo Three, you <laughs> anticipate dying at least three. Yeah times as hard as the other two (laughs) yeah well i mean it's an action rpg where you're fighting like mobs of enemies so you know in order for that to be you know not as boring uh there has to be some risk involved in fighting for sure something something to you know like kind of make the reward feel more rewarding yeah and i mean i i think i understand why it was easier is because I mean, there was not any build variety. There's no way to really build my character around anything. So was Diablo three the first console Diablo? Yeah, yeah, it the was? first okay, two. Okay, so were that PC. I feel like could definitely attribute to why they bare bones it. So there's a lot of, um, it's pretty known PC games. There's a lot of like setup and different like customizations you could do. You have so many tools at your hand, and it just seems like when you port something or change something from PC to with a console mindset, you have such a limited limited tool like the controller can only do like so much for um at least games around that time or at least sometimes with that mindset of going from pc to there that sometimes instead of overwhelming the player it seems it's just easier to just simplify things so that way you don't have a whole lot to try to lose himself with and just get deterred from at the start yeah yeah definitely but in diablo 4 they definitely uh added some more to the character customization and added some of those rpg elements back so i like that And then visually, the game looked amazing. I mean, Blizzard is known for kind of their awesome cinematics, so it still had those really awesome cinematics. But the in-game graphics are really good too. Man, um, so I, I was I was really impressed with it. I'm, I never played World of Warcraft, but I remember looking at those trailers way back then, like the Lich King trailer back yeah. in like the early aughts. So like, damn, it's pretty dope. I'd watch a movie of this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even even people who didn't play blizzard games are familiar with their cinematic trailers because yeah they're pretty impressive but yeah it was a lot of fun and they changed so previous diablo games because it's like an action rpg kind of a hack and slash game so you know previously in games it's really like you watch this cool cinematic and then the rest of the story is told through npcs of just like a wall of text being read to you okay 
and they kind of changed that formula up. So now the the end game, there's in game cutscenes now, and there's a little bit more interaction in the dialogue to where it's like a back and forth between your character and the NPCs. So it's a little more interesting. Uh, the storytelling is a little more compelling. They changed up their kind of formula for it. So I was really interested in like the world and the story they were telling. So I'm extremely hyped for it. I think it's going to be a really cool game. It was one of my predictions for game of the year. Okay. Um, so I'm still uh, holding on to that, that it's going to be at least nominated for game of the year. For sure. Um, yeah, I'm extremely stoked for it. So I played, a, I played a bit of that. I didn't get to play much. They had like, you could get to level 20 and do like the whole first act. And I think I only made it like halfway through. Is it the going act. to carry over to the main game? Yeah. And then you're. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I, I played as the barbarian. And I, I don't know. I don't think I enjoyed them that much. They made changes to the barbarian that I think were cool and interesting. So they made the barbarian is able to use um, any weapon type. And they switch between weapon types for each skill. So they could have like a two handed sword. Okay. And. Uh, uh, they could also have two one-handed axes, and they could, when they use a skill, they switch to those weapons. Okay. So they kind of seamlessly switch back and forth between weapons. Can they? Can you do wield like an axe and a fist? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that was kind of interesting. I didn't. I don't know how I liked it. And some some skills have you know the same weapon type, so you didn't always need to switch between weapons. Okay. Um, but it was an interesting idea. I think for me, I know this game doesn't go for like realism or immersion at all because of the the type of game that it is. But I just, for me, I picture a barbarian uh, being very difficult to just switch seamlessly between a bunch of different weapons. You know, barbarian, when you're angry, you know, you make things work the way you want them to. Yeah. A lot of games with barbarians just kind of, they're known to be the the fight-heavy I really want to do as much damage and hurt people as bad as I can with as many weapons as I can gonna do. Yeah. Um, and, and the Barbarian had weapon specialization, so the more of one weapon that you use, the better you got with it. So they brought back some of that stuff from the earlier Diablo games that I really liked. Um, so yeah, I have really high hopes for it. I know uh, Blizzard has rubbed people the wrong way uh, for the last few years with oh, yeah. Diablo 3 and Diablo Immortals release and Overwatch 1.5, and so they've uh, they've gotten a lot of flack recently, but was it was it Blizzard that did? Wasn't there a scandal? Not a scandal, but there was like some version of like one of their games where you were forced to play that and you couldn't revert back to the other games. That was Overwatch. They took um... no, not Overwatch. I, I could have swore it was a Blizzard game. Um, like it was like I don't know World of Warcraft two anniversary edition or I, I can't remember which, but there was some studio that released a pc version that you can no longer play the previous version that you had to play that version and it had a butchered launch so people were already having a bad time being forced to play this new version okay i i don't know i swear that's overwatch because overwatch they made overwatch 2 but it took the place of overwatch 1 so you can't you can't play overwatch 1 at all but uh yeah so we'll see but I have high hopes for it, and it was pretty fun, so I think it's going to be a good one. Any other games? And then the only other thing I've been playing is wrapping up Atomic Heart, Mm -hmm. uh, which I talked a little bit on the last episode, but I'm pretty far into it now. I think I'm at the end of the game. Okay, that's Russian Bioshock, right? Yeah, yeah, heavily influenced by Bioshock. Um, They even make uh, some some references in the dialogue um, Mm -hmm. to Bioshock. Um, So yeah, definitely Bioshock and I think Doom were two major influences of that game. Um, but it was a lot of fun. It, um, 
it has some flaws, especially in the story and I've, the dialogue. I've um, heard the English voice. It is horrible. Yeah, it's uh, it was a bad voiceover. I've heard that too, that if you play it in Russian, that the, the translation uh, is not as cringy as uh, the English voiceover. I, I listened to a snippet of some of him talk, and um, it sounds like I could just plug that into any video game main character male lead from anywhere between 2000 and 2015. Yeah. And it sounded like it would just come from any random game. I could... <laughs> There's uh, no identity to the voice that they did for the English dub. Yeah, and yeah, this his lines are pretty absurd. Almost, I I compared him to almost like a Duke Nukem s character. Oh, no, but a Duke Nukem though is intentionally uh, trying to be like absurd, whereas I don't think they're they were <laughs> intending that with this character. So it didn't didn't work out as well. But despite the flaws with the dialogue, the rest of the game is is pretty awesome. Okay, the atmosphere, the world. Um, it has a real good blend, I think, between like first-person action and kind of survival horror-esque. Because the game takes place uh, kind of like in a semi-open world. Um, and then there's parts of the map where you go into like buildings and things like that to explore. But when you're out in the open world, it's very hard to go undetected. So you have to try really hard I to sneak. I heard that the enemies, the NPCs, have crazy detection. Yeah. So there is stealth in the game. Like You can sneak up on enemies. But it's very difficult. The robots move very sporadically. They will just whip around instantly when you're like trying to sneak up on them. And when you alert one, there's cameras all over. Um, if they see you fighting robots, they like sound the alarms. And so, and fighting more than like two or three enemies in this game is very challenging. So once there's a swarm of robots, you pretty much have to run, or Gosh, uh, you're not going to get out of it unless it's like way late game and you have some pretty good weapons. But so it has that good mix of like the survival horror aspect to it. And, is, is oh there one enemy that you say you have to absolutely avoid? It's like early, I can't, I can't take this guy. I have to go. <laughs> yeah, first other who's who's the death claw in this game? Yeah, well, yeah. There's so there's robot enemies, obviously, but then there's also some organic enemies, mm-hmm. um, and there's one organic enemy that's very resistant to uh, like bullets and most of your special ability attacks, and he has. Uh, a grapple move that activates like a quick time event pretty frequently and he's super obnoxious so i always avoid him and he's like this weird uh kind of the way he looks he's like made out of like just a glob of blood vessels <laughs> connected and uh he has he his limbs like stretch out and stuff so he has long reach and i always avoid him but there's one part of the game where you can't avoid him because he's like a kind of like a boss okay um, so he's like kind of like a force boss but, to get you to understand his yeah like, but then after there is other instances where you can run into that enemy type um and i always trying to avoid him some Which, of the other enemies just annoy me so i try not to fight them like especially the flying enemies <laughs> i just try to avoid them for annoying reasons and man, some don't of the you real- love it when the boss becomes just a regular npc later <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah I've, ha- I've had a lot of fun with it despite the the flaws with the dialogue um, the rest of the game was pretty awesome okay. um i'm thinking about doing a review of it so oh. I might try my hand at a video game review um, after yeah, I finish man. it. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Just another thing to learn uh, on top of trying to learn all this audio engineering <laughs> to try mm-hmm. and understand how to now edit a video and, and upload that. Yeah, it's Root pretty good. It, I, I would definitely say, uh, obviously, it's on Game Pass. So if you're a Game Pass subscriber on Xbox, it's, oh, it's, def- on Game it's Pass? definitely worth a play. Yeah. Oh, dope. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah and i think that's pretty much it for now other than that just playing other random things you know marvel snap on my phone still and <laughs> stuff like that all right so we got some interesting news that's happened this last month there's actually a lot of news and so that was uh this episode was originally supposed to be recorded on saint patrick's day and we ended up postponing it and then it got postponed again and here we are now but the cool thing about that is all the news that's happened uh, over this last month so now i have a lot more to talk about one of the hugest things for me that happened this month uh, was the announcement of the release date for Starfield. Uh, it's coming out uh, September 6th of this year. Yeah, um, stars in the field. <laughs> and it's also, uh, they're also going to have a uh, kind of developer direct show for Starfield that's right after the Xbox uh, showcase in June. So yeah, I'm pretty stoked about that. My prediction was holiday season like november december release date for starfield so It'd be ideal yeah um so it's coming out before then supposedly and so i'm pretty excited that it'll be here in september um but you never know i could get everyone another... check your xbox <laughs> now it's on game pass go get yeah it will be on game pass though oh, right yeah, on day one because uh because microsoft uh owns, owns bethesda. bethesda now yeah. yeah so i don't know oh it's also exclusive now because it's not going to be on it's PS5. exclusive? Yeah, it's oh, wow. exclusive to Xbox now. Or is it a timed release? No, I don't think it's coming at all. I don't I'm pretty sure it's exclusive to Xbox now. Okay. It's not even coming out on the PS5. Okay. Could be wrong on that, but I'm almost I'm going to say 90% sure that I read that somewhere that it was exclusive now, which makes sense. I mean, with Microsoft owning Bethesda. <laughs> but yeah, so that got announced. And yeah, I'm definitely going to probably watch the direct live Hopefully, uh, if I can, and I know you're not, uh, you're not anticipating the Starfield as much as me. So it's a field <laughs> full of stars. Yeah, let's go. Yeah. It's stars in space. So, so you yeah. haven't, you haven't watched any of like the. They did release a trailer the day they announced that release date, and you check any of that. My out. guy, what did they show? Tell me what they show. <laughs> well, they showed they actually not uh, purposely, <laughs> but they did show gameplay footage uh, behind. Todd, who was talking because they oh. had him in the studio, and so there's guys behind him testing the game, and you can see gameplay. So everyone's been like not even paying attention to everything Todd was saying, but just focusing in on what gameplay we saw in the Please, background. Please, Todd, we haven't seen our family in weeks. Todd cracks the wick behind him, like we are going for a summer release date. <laughs> yeah, but they did show. They showed a little bit of. Um, I mean, they didn't give us much. They just showed some of the third-person exploration. So there'll be a third-person and first-person camera kind of like Fallout. Man, there's always like two ways to interpret that. Like they're either trying to hold everything from you to keep the anticipation like going. And, you know, and then all of a sudden like, boom, here's the game. Surprise. Couple months, it's out. Or it could be like, you know, like, oh, yeah, we're just fixing things up, working on it. Really, I'm behind the scenes. There's a fire going on on a couple computers in the office. They're trying to put them out. And yeah. <laughs> uh, make sure that the game isn't a flop when it drops. And, um, you know, it's a little worrisome. You, you got to make sure you keep interest and engagement out there. So I totally suggest, like, you know, like being as um, open as you can with your fan base. Let them know stuff's coming. Give them a little here, a little there. And, um, you know, that I feel like most of the time that will go ahead and peace people. And, um, yeah, you know, I'm excited for you, man. I know that you have been looking forward to this. And I hope it is going to be a stellar game. 
Yeah, me too. I think Bethesda. I mean, I think they've learned their lesson with some of their previous releases. I have I have faith in them and in what, Todd. What what is their last release besides Skyrim? Fallout seventy six. Seventy six. Okay. That one was pretty brutal. I actually never even. I played maybe ten or so hours of seventy six. Um, you know, but I heard it's made a, a quite the turnaround. You know, you know, eventually everybody's going to stop playing that game, and it's going to be a true Fallout single player game after that. Actually, I think I don't. I don't remember if Beth- I don't think Bethesda was just the publisher on it, but Doom Eternal might have been the last release. Doom Eternal, man, whatever happened to Isabel and Doom Guy? I miss <laughs> that. That was a fun time. They delayed Doom. I think yeah, I think they delayed Doom Eternal to release at the same night as Animal Crossing: New Horizons, and then all of a sudden the fan bases were like. Yes, let us celebrate together. And so it'd be like Isabel holding like the the meat hook shotgun and Doom Guy catching butterflies in Animal Crossing. And it's just it is an unbelievable crossover of just like fan bases just shaking hands and being like, We are in this together. It's like what? It's insane. It's like, what is it? Oh gosh. It is it is so it's so amazing, like how how are those polar opposite games, you know, like just okay with each other? Like it's not 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 okay with each other, but like yeah, they just got along, and we got so many memes because of it, and it is great. Yeah, for not having a whole lot uh, in common yeah. with each other and their preferences. I do but... remember one thing though was that um, of going on with that hype shortly after that game drop, I do um. Animal Crossing New Horizons, when that dropped, there was a little thing that happened where they had like this Easter type event and they introduced a Easter bunny guy. And he annoyed the heck out of everyone because every time you interacted with something during this event um, where you wanted something specifically, it'd be an egg instead. And it was like, it had like, a, I forgot, like a 30% chance of just being an egg randomly. So you're, you're fishing for this special fish so you can throw it in your museum. Wow, I caught an egg on my hook. Um, you're, I don't know, chopping down a tree and like getting things to fall down. Oh, there's eggs in this tree. And so like a lot of people were angry because they just wanted their regular items to go and grind for. And they were just giving these eggs. I had this dumb bunny and everyone's like, why can't doom guy come and save us and take out this bunny? (laughs) But the funny thing is out of all the animal crossing villagers, the doom slayer would love the bunny the most. (laughs) And it is because he has his own buddy named Daisy. And this is in lore. This is Cadden, his own bunny named Daisy, that the demons took away from him. <laughs> and so part of his hellbent revenge is trying to get Daisy back. Oh, yeah, I never knew that. I think it was Doom 2, yeah. We found out he has a bunny, and I think in like the Doom games, like they killed the bunny, and so now he's killing all the demons because they killed his bunny. Wow. But in uh, Doom Eternal, he has a poster of him holding Daisy, the bunny. And in each level, you could find the bunny. So Daisy is hiding in certain segments of like the games, <laughs> and it's... Uh, yeah, so people are all uh, don't realize, but Doom Guy loves bunnies. He is a bunny person. Oh, I never knew that, and I've played every one except Doom Eternal. It's the only one I haven't played. Anyways, yeah, Starfield. <laughs> <laughs> I have high hopes for it. I'm super stoked for it. We'll see. Only time will tell at this point. But other news uh, that happened: uh, the end of uh, E3 finally died out this year. The writing had been on the wall for a while for E3, uh, especially uh, after they had to stop for uh, COVID uh, so, a couple years back. I need to figure this out. Is it indefinite end or is it canceled this year? Uh, so right now everyone's treating it as a definite end. Like oh, gosh. Everyone's, I mean, they didn't, uh, 
what is it called? I'm trying to think of the name now. What was it? Uh, I, the company that took o- took it over had done quite a few different expos and cons. Okay. Um, I think they were called Reed Pop. Yeah, Reed Pop. Um, and they did, they've done like a bunch of Star Wars cons and things like that. Pretty successful at event organizing and planning. So everyone kind of thought it was going to be a layup for them because E3 has a pretty long-standing tradition. But the statement that they made, they didn't say that it was definite, but just that they were canceling it, and they just understand that there's just not the same level of uh, interest from gaming companies anymore, um, which is a huge part of E3. Yeah, they've they've noticed. I've noticed they're all just become comfortable with doing their own showcases and not having to share the stage with like everyone. They're like, yeah, yeah getting together, doing all that's nice, but we'd rather have our own focused event about all our own focused stuff where we could just highlight and show everything about that, which I mean, yeah, that was nice at E3 too, but there's just this different mentality of when, you know, like it's not E3 hosting Microsoft, it's Microsoft hosting the next set of Microsoft games. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, I feel like there's different yeah. mentality. Yeah. And I mean, less money, you don't have to pay E3 for using oh, for you know, sure. space. That you get sense. to, you get to kind of curate and create your own thing to present it's not live, which also has some risk factor in it. When you you're have not to restricted things. to a schedule, you get to run yeah. your own schedule. So it makes a lot of sense for gaming companies to not want to do E3. Um, so yeah, most people are saying, you know, in media outlets that yeah, this is kind of the end of an era, and E3 is going away permanently. Gosh. And yeah, it was. I mean, there was so many. There were so many companies that were pulling out just kind of since like summer of last year. Microsoft saying they're not going, Sony saying they're not going, and then all these other small publishers saying they're not going with like Sega, and then Ubisoft, I think, was the last big one that E3 had, and then Ubisoft. Bold of Ubisoft. Yeah. (laughs) Them of all people. (laughs) Where will I get my Assassin's Creed news now? (laughs) Um, But yeah, and, and, and everyone's saying like you were talking about how you know developers and publishers can just do their own thing online their own stream their own events and these developer directs and um it's a lot more cost efficient and just a lot more better use of their time yeah nintendo's been doing nintendo treehouses like every other month for years yeah but i don't know i everyone's saying that it's the end of e3 but i find that just hard to believe and i don't know if that's me being just nostalgic over watching e3 for so many years and that being such a big part of uh video game news and hearing new game announcements Mm. but i just feel like there has to be some way for them they just need to incentivize publishers and game developers to want to come back and so i think really they what they have to do is get rid of the cost for them to be there and look for other revenue sources, either ticket sales or sponsorships or advertisements. But I feel need- like they're already heavily advertised, no? Yeah, they are, but not enough because they're still charging these publishers and game developers floor space. I'm saying they need to find a way to not charge them to be there so that they're not uh, having a cost to be there and then find okay. some other some other source of revenue. You know, obviously, I know nothing about uh, the business side of that, or so would that how be that like raising would work, ticket but, prices, or yeah, or yeah, or it's just adding, finding a different venue, possibly. Yeah, or organizing something. I mean, if companies want to do, you know, these online streams or direct develops, I think E three can get into that market too. Um, just has to find its way, but I don't think it's the end for E three. I think it's going to come back just in a different form. 
or with some major changes to it. I just think the formula they have now just isn't going to work anymore with having these big kind of in-person expos. And But yeah, I mean, there's such cool things about the in-person expos, though. Like, people would create these sort of interactive um, displays for their games and stuff like that. Yeah, and there was, like, demos you go over do, and try out. There's this whole kind of just, like, aesthetic or feel that you're there. It is a convention, if you, you know, like, really, of, like, just the next... Um, showcase of like what entertainment industry is showing as far as like the video game standpoint and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I know this is probably a reason why publishers don't want to be there is because of the risk of doing things live and making mistakes. But that's also, I feel like part of E3. Oh, but we got so many great (laughs) moments from like horrible, cringeworthy mistakes done live. Yeah. I don't, I can't remember. Who could forget the connect? Yeah. <laughs> and not registering you like as they were doing it live. <laughs> yeah. So I see why they want to avoid that. But for the consumer and for the audience, it's very enjoyable to watch stuff like that happen. Oh, God. That, that <laughs> Xbox showcase was yeah. such a disaster. <laughs> Always online. No disc. <laughs> uh, which is so funny because it's arbitrary now like nowadays we are so comfortable as video game consumers to just own things digitally like it's yeah we made a complete 180 because like back in the early aughts you told someone like you always need to be plugged in and you can only buy digital like you they they would cut you off They're like no i need my physical collection like, right and now it's just it's just too convenient it's off it's offered yeah so people much. prefer to be the yeah. only digital now <laughs> yeah like it's just, it's convenient. It's on there. The game consoles nowadays, they just boot it up so fast. Like, you don't need to go pull it out from somewhere. You just go press a couple buttons and everything just loads. And, you know, I feel like that, like the Xbox Game Pass and stuff like that really incentivizes it because it gives you that little taste of like what it means to own a digital library. So if it's just that mm-hmm. easy, then just continue just buying the new game digitally. And so then everything's just digital and it's it's just really convenient, you know? And, yeah. Um, yeah, so um, we made a complete 180 on that. So that kind of also just, you know, also just ties into this mindset of like the E3 because everybody's running their own thing digitally or their own personal stuff. You know, um, it just totally changes from the mindset of needing to be at a place in person to just, you know, participating at a distance, which, of course, a lot of us do by reading our news and such as that. But there's there's got to be a different feel when you're there in person. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, uh, so we'll see. Uh, again, I don't think E3 is going to be gone forever, but just come back in sort of this new format, whatever that's going to be for them. But I just think, I mean, that's been going on for like 20 years. I find it hard to believe that they would just give up and kind of roll over like that and just get and just throw it out completely. But a lot of people seem to believe that it's gone forever. So we'll see. I would I would remain optimistic. Maybe not this year. I could see if they want to take a year break, that's fine. Come back 2025. That's a good number. <laughs> yeah. That's a good comeback number. <laughs> yeah. And other news, uh, and this one is uh, pretty crazy. Um, at least to me, I feel like it's a pretty big deal. Um, but EA Sports and FIFA um, officially are no longer working together. Um and so, obviously, most people know what FIFA is. You know, it's probably the most one of the most popular sports games in the it world. It is, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, it is the most sold sports game in the world. Yeah. Annually. So, and they've been making FIFA titles for the last um, 
I think the article I read, yeah, said 30 years they've been working together. So, um, and of course it was over money, right? FIFA wanted more uh, money for the game, and EA said, uh, no, we don't need you guys. And so they split up. And that to me, I mean, I don't really know what's going to happen because now both these companies are going to try and make a soccer game. And one company, FIFA, has no idea how to make a game, but they're going to try and outsource to some, some game development company to make it. And EA Sports obviously knows how to make a very good sports game, but they have no ownership to any of the rights <laughs> or player names or likeness or anything. So I don't know. I think they said the title for the EA's new game is going to be called like EA Football Club or something. Or, um, I... I can't remember off the top of my head what they are going to call the new game. Uh, oh, EA Sports FC is going to be the name of their game. And uh, yeah. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, this is uh, pretty crazy. I know FIFA has the money, obviously, to make a game. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're probably the, one of the richest sports organizations in the world, so they c- they'll be able to hire anyone to make that game. I guess it depends on how much of that revenue is split up. You know, like it was EA getting most of the money, or was it FIFA? I I'm not sure myself. Yeah, I know. I think in the article it said uh, FIFA was asking for 150 million. Mm. And I don't know what percentage of that uh, EA was taking, but uh, I mean, $150 million is a lot of money. Yeah. And even a 50-50 split uh, would be a lot of money. <laughs> so has to be some pretty, uh, some pretty outrageously high numbers of money that they were dealing with. Um, but yeah, I mean, this to me is like, I don't know. I just can't really picture it. This would be like if for uh, all the... Uh, people who don't play FIFA out there, this would be like if the NFL said they're no longer going to partner with EA and they're going to make their own football game. And EA said, we're going to make our own NFL, our own football game, but not use any NFL teams or players. not similar to this happened in the sense that, what was it? The MLB was PlayStation exclusive for the longest time. It was MLB The Show. And Mm. then, what was it, like five or six years ago or something like that, they actually started going multi-platform. So it was PlayStation's MLB The Show on Xbox. And it was like <laughs> advertised. You you load up your Xbox with this game and it showed the PlayStation logo. Yeah. And it's, it's some sort of blasphemy. Like on the screen, it's like, oh, what? And, uh, but yeah, no. So like, it's interesting to see this. So like, we might get more than one football property a year. Like, is, will FIFA release annually? Well, EA, of course, probably has resources yeah. released annually, but... Or is FIFA going to be the fine-tuned kind of route, you know? Like, is they are going to take a break? Like, it's so interesting to kind of theorize, like, how they're going to go moving forward with this. And, you know, like you said, like, what's more what's more valuable to the consumer? Is it going to be the, the, the company name or is it going to be, like, the title? Like, are people going to be drawn towards the FIFA title, although it's not EA? Or are they going to be drawn towards the, you know, like, the, the groundwork EA that they did and stick to what they know? Yeah, yeah. I don't think they would. What would you choose? Would you choose an EA soccer game or a FIFA soccer game? You know, I'll be honest. I think, I mean, I haven't played, I haven't bought or played a FIFA game since college. So it's been about six years now. Um, I only play it just kind of randomly um, when a friend has it. Or I know Savannah has nephews that really like to play FIFA. So I'll play with them every now and then. Yeah. Uh, but it's too rage inducing because they're better than me at it. Yeah. <laughs> It's real demoralizing when a 10-year-old is uh, just destroying you and just talking trash on you the whole time. Um, but I think I would go with uh, I think I would go with FIFA. 
just because they ha- own you know so much of just the property names the rights the player i think image likeness all that stuff um i don't know what teams are going to be in the ea sports <laughs> football club game but i know what the teams are going to be on fifa you know all the international teams and things like that all the big players so and like i said i think fifa has the money that they're going to hire the best game development company they can to make the game so it'll be interesting we'll see what happens all right, I got one last story here for you. Okay. And one I was really interested in when I first read it. I was like, I need to ask Jordan about this. For sure. Um, but uh, it's Dead by Daylight, uh, the video game. Uh, there's a company, I think it was Bloomhouse and Bloomhouse. Atomic Monster. Yeah, yeah for above average movies, movies, I would say, Bloomhouse has made. They've done, they've done horror movies is yeah. like some of the things that they're known for, yeah. Yeah, above average horror movies is yeah. what I meant to say. Um, so... Uh, Bloomhouse and Atomic Monster, um, partnering with um, Behavior Interactive, which I'm assuming that's the game developer. Yeah, they they work on uh, they've been working on their Dead by Daylight game for years. Uh, so I know a little bit about Dead by Daylight, uh, but you played it uh, a lot more than I have extensively um, for a good while. That's like I said, one of the grind heavy games to try to stay away from. Dead by Daylight was the reason why I would not put that game down for like a year. Yeah, and because I feel like it was a not only because of the the grindiness of it or the multiplayer, but just the blend of like uh, horror movies um, and like cameos and things like that. Yeah, was, it's was super interesting. It is interesting. Asymmetrical multiplayer game with a horror aesthetic. Um, funny, I am more stressed out playing the killer than I am the survivor in those games. Just because yeah. it feels like it is a it is absolutely it's a four v one, and you are trying to take them out and they are trying to get out and often enough you're trying to chase one person down the other three are working towards the goal to get out mm-hmm. so it's it's just kind of stressful if you're just really too into it about trying to get a good kill record for like the game and whatnot and um yeah if you're fixated on that it could be stressful and you could have a bit of a hard time uh, so survivor is a little easier for me just because i know survivor is it, it's it's a team you know like maybe not everyone knows you're a team and not everyone's going to try to help you they're all trying to do their own stuff sometimes uh, some other people might you know just be aware of the game state a little better and help you out and um work towards the goal of getting out you will have some trolls every now and then uh but yeah no it, it, being survivors chill um on every day i'd say i'm more survivor main when i'm filling up to it i'll go ahead and throw down as a killer there are some killers I do uh, I do enjoy trying to go out and giving them some uh, some time in there. Um, one of those would be the trapper is a really big brain killer that I enjoyed. You set a trap on the field and you try to corral the people to go into it because you'll you'll protect areas that they would go for safety. You pre-set a trap there, make them think it's safe, go there, they get bear trap, and you throw them in the basement. It's really great. Um, some other killers I enjoyed. Um, goodness, it's a while. I liked the pig for a while just because I thought seeing this chapter for Saul was what got me into the game. I was like, wait, I could be, you know, I could be um, the jigsaw, uh, the jigsaw apprentice, and just throw reverse bear traps in everyone's head. That's amazing, and their 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 faces could pop off. That's even better. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, there's quite a few different killer varieties in there. That I enjoyed, and uh, yeah, so Dead by Daylight movie. So yeah, so 
so the production company, obviously, Bloomhouse, uh, pretty uh, substantial company, yeah, makes above sure average it. horror movies. And the game Dead by Daylight's a lot of fun, so they have those two things going for them. But from what I know of Dead by Daylight, it's a multiplayer game, so not a ton of story in Dead by Daylight. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a lore-heavy game with no story. Yeah, so how could they make that into a movie that's just uh, not just your typical slasher film of stupid people doing you know dumb things and getting killed by a, so a, the, a monster? The, the hurtful thing is that it is probably just going to be that. Um, so, so the idea of Dead by Daylight is that one of the things is death is not the end is like one of um, the ideas of it in the sense that all these survivors are here to appease the being known as the entity and the entity um, brings these people to a trial. So the trial is for them to try to escape, whereas the killer needs to kill them. But it's more than that for the entity to thrive. They need the thrill, the hunt, thrill, the chase, the thrill of the barely making it out alive kind of thing going on and that appeases the entity and makes them um uh fulfills their desire for this um hunger and so right when they've climaxed and reached as much as they can drained out every bit of hope and stress and anxiety from the survivors um the entity wants like the killers to go for the kill and so uh it's just a constant um thing of killing the survivors and them escaping and then after the trial the entity resets them and starts them on a new trial and they just it's an endless loop of being hunted and killed so that's tldr although it's a little little long um of what like debadale is and so of course like later on being this horror theme aesthetic they brought in like new killers licensed killers i do not see them at all using a licensed killer at, for like a debadale yeah. movie um they would i would say if they were doing one killer, it would have to be the poster boy. It'd have to be the trapper. There is an original character. He is He's an original character. He is the poster boy. He is on the cover of the game. Um, they can possibly put up the three original killers. So there's three killers that dropped with the game when it first came out. It was the trapper, the hillbilly, who was supposed to be um, a nod to um, Leatherface, but they um, couldn't do Leatherface at the time. Then they found out they could get the license for him, so they dropped him later. And so, yeah, it's the Wraith, the Goat, excuse me, the Wraith, the Hillbilly, and the Trapper. So they could possibly do, introduce the idea that it's just a cyclical hell and have them go over death and escapes many times until they find a way to escape the actual yeah. cycle. That could be a route they go for. Other route is they could make it seem like a generic horror movie. And then a good twist I would recommend at the end, right when they die, they just get reset back to a new place. Mm -hmm. So then to introduce the idea that death is not the end, um, they could explore the idea of the entity and maybe have the entity send out people, these killers to go and hunt them. And maybe they could go like that. So it's like a supernatural aspect to it that they could do. Um, there's a few routes I could go for that, but those are like some of the most common ones I could think of. Um, Dead by Daylight, I think, would certainly lend itself to a very quote unquote generic thrash, uh, slasher type uh, movie, which I don't think will hurt it because it certainly wants to acknowledge those kind of movies with its um, with its characters and stuff. But um, yeah, I would feel it could benefit 
from just giving off more lore and such. Um, I do not have high hopes just because notoriously video game movies aren't that great. Just yeah. because they, they it, sometimes there's a lot of studio meddling of what a video game movie should do compared to what the video game creators want. And that, um, that to be honest, that's been doing a little better recently. We've got movies like the Sonic movie. Sonic movie's done pretty good. Um, the Last of Us adaption series. A mm-hmm. lot of people love that one. Yeah. So the adaptions for video games have been doing great as of late compared to like what they were 10 years before, 10 years ago. Um, we won't mention Uncharted in that list. <laughs> uh, yeah. That, what was up with that casting, man? Yeah. Like why? <laughs> Like, I get young Nathan Drake, but the guy that looked like Nathan Drake, they got as the old man. Like, what? <laughs> that didn't make any sense at all. And then they just, like, mixed and mashed bits of each three games and just put them together. Yeah. And I'm just like, why? Yeah, that was a rough one. One that I had uh, high hopes for. Uh, I saw that in theaters because my girlfriend really wanted to. She had a blast. I saw it in theaters, too. I mean, it wasn't, uh, I wouldn't say it was an awful movie. Um, sure. But, uh, <laughs> it was a bad adaption of the video game. It wasn't a great adaption. <laughs> that, to say that, along with that, it wasn't not fun. Yeah. It is fine. Yeah. Unironically, I enjoy the Angry Birds movies. Oh, I've never seen any of those. They movies. are dumb fun in my yeah. opinion. Well, and you know what? A movie based on a mobile app, I feel, should be dumb fun. I don't want that <laughs> to be serious. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Sonic. And I have a, I mean, I have a theory that it's easier to adapt video games that aren't centered around, like, action or violence. Because, I mean, like, on the Uncharted games, I mean, you're like a, a, I mean, a massacre. I mean, you go through the game and, I mean, it's an action game. You know, there's obviously like treasure hunting and exploring, but you're going through levels just mowing down enemies. That is one the, thing <laughs> that you they... You can't really put that in a movie of just a hundred, you know, body count. Uncharted <laughs> is one of the games that brought to the attention of like video game audiences, like who really is the bad guy? Because he's just a treasure <laughs> hunter. He's trying to be Indiana Jones, right? But even then, Indiana Jones didn't mow down endless mobs of enemies in a room. And uh, so... You know, Nathan Drake is trying to stop these guys from taking treasure in like each whatever game. But I think a minimum of each game, he's got to kill like 200 people. And so (laughs) we need to preserve this treasure and I need to murder everyone involved. Yeah. So I think that's when it gets hard to adapt these games when a lot of the game is uh, a lot of the gameplay is centered around like action and, you know, defeating bad guys and things like that. And that doesn't always translate to a well uh like a well well fleshed out yeah well structured story so i don't necessarily believe that because um what is it so like sonic sure it's about blue hedgehog go fast get ring uh but um they were able to come up with some stuff just for it to be entertaining and um you know enthralling enough for audiences to like it you know, and if even if it was bad, Sonic fans would still go watch it because, like, yeah, we know our games are bad, our moves are bad, but Blue Hedgehog go fast, you know, like. Yeah. Um, but there's some other stuff like, like just mentioned previously, The Last of Us. That it is a very story-driven game, and they went through a lot of um, excruciating detail to make sure that they translated that as well as they can into the show. And mm-hmm. from most people from what I heard, um, 
they thought it was great. It was a brilliant adaption. And, you know, and um, so I think it is dangerous for when games that are adapted when they don't have enough story that um, it's up to the studio to decide and just make whatever decision they want. And so yeah. they're just giving it to a writer to fill in the blanks of see how things get connected and how things should roll. And then the studio decides like, oh, well, we want this kind of thing thrown in there. Can you throw that in there? And then it's just a mumble jumble mix mash where there's not this clear vision of like what it should be thrown down. So more open-ended stuff, I think, lends itself out to be just a hodgepodge mess sometimes. And there are some movies that shine through it and there's others that get left behind. Uh, yeah. One movie I keep thinking about how it could have been great, but wasn't um, the Hitman movies. Those yeah. are bad. Yeah. I remember when I was like, I watched, I shouldn't have, but I've watched the Hitman movie when I was young, probably like in my early teens, like my tweens age. And I remember watching it again and again, not because it was great, but because I, I couldn't understand anything that was going on. And now that I'm older and find out that like, it's not just me, it just really was a confusing mess. It's so validating. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's like... Well, the story in the Hitman game, especially the earlier ones, was very confusing because there wasn't... Especially in Hitman 1 and Hitman 2, mm -hmm. they didn't really tell you anything about the background of, of the Hitman, of the assassin. So, like you were saying, these writers had to try and just fill in a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that that's what made it challenging for Hitman because they... Yeah, they just... And they ended up going into, like, you know, classic... Hollywood tropes they thought would work for an action movie and just threw it into to Hitman. So yeah, that was a disappointing one because I love. What if there's a hit on the Hitman? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> brilliant writing. So yeah, because I was a big fan of the Hitman games too, especially when I was younger. So I was super stoked for the Hitman movies, and yeah, they just were disappointed. I didn't like the casting either for for the Hitman. I don't know who would have been better, but. That's not my job to decide, but they need to do a better job. <laughs> Can we uh, see Vin Diesel as Hitman? <laughs> yeah. uh, it would have been more entertaining, I think, <laughs> with Vin Diesel. I don't know if it would have been better necessarily, but it would have made for some better memes, I think. Can we shave Nick Cage's head have him be Hitman? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, we'll see. I think, well, you were, already, you were just explaining how when there's not a lot of story, it's harder. And that's what they're going to have to do with Dead by Daylight is fill in a lot of the story. So, Yep, I've already put out what my three ideas for it should be and what my expectation is. I don't think it's going to be amazing. I'm probably yeah. still going to watch it just because there's going to be some Easter eggs and nods. Mm -hmm. I think it's not going to be good. Yeah, and that's probably what they're banking on too is that they already have a fan base that they know is going to come watch it. But I don't think they have a big enough didn't, fan base to make. Didn't Bloomhouse do the, the do the Slenderman movie? Who did the Slenderman movie? I don't recall. I think Bloomhouse did Insidious. They did do Insidious. Yeah. I don't so, know who did Slenderman movie. Yeah. I never. Watched but that the was something movie. I just remembered was a movie right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Um, but yeah, I don't. I didn't watch the Slenderman movie either. But I'm guessing it was probably a pretty poor ad adaptation because that was also a game that has very little story to it. <laughs> but yeah, we'll see. I'll probably watch it too. I don't know if I'll go see it in theaters, but maybe wait for it to come to DVD before I check it out. That's but, probably fair. But yeah, I have low hopes for it. But we'll see when we get more information. There's obviously nothing uh, to really go off right now. Just speculating because there's no cast, no trailer, no nothing. So. Yeah. When that first trailer comes out, I'll be interested to watch it. Are you still? Do you still avoid trailers to movies, or do you watch? Only them for now? movies I really want to see. So, some movies I'm doing that for right now, 
Um, Evil Dead Rise, that's actually coming out like a few days before my birthday. I really want to see that. I'm avoiding it. Um, certainly 100% for horror movies just because as soon as you see a trailer, you're going to see scenes in there of characters and a lot of the horror movies, they want to kill these characters. So if I'm watching a horror movie and this character getting chased down by the killer, but I've seen that character alive in a scene that hasn't happened from the trailer yet, it kind of suspends my disbelief a little bit. So I was like, okay, well, this character is just going to live. Yeah. You know, like the killer is chasing them and they're just going to get away. So... Going in on a blank slate, knowing nothing, just going in, just watching the movie, just knowing absolutely nothing about it helps me keep me on edge. Is this character going to die or not? You know, like I don't even know who's in the movie. I don't know anything about the movie and I'm going to go in on a blank slate and I'm going to enjoy it because I'm just going to be totally surprised whatever they throw at me. Yeah. I've never thought about that for horror movies specifically. Yeah. I I did that for Scream, the Scream 6. I went on a blank slate and knew nothing about it. I thought it was pretty great. Yeah, I mean, that's the best way, I think, to go into movies is with a blank slate and not knowing anything about it. I'm fortunate enough that my memory is pretty bad, so I don't retain much of what I see and listen to. So I could probably watch a trailer to a horror movie and not even remember that that <laughs> character was in a scene from the trailer that I've seen. Uh, yeah. So just movies I really want to see. Um, sometimes they're superhero movies or just some movies I'm really excited about. Besides that, not too much. Like the Oppenheimer trailer, I'm watching that. That's fine. A lot of times animated movies, I don't care. Like Into the Spider-Verse, like that's fine. I'll watch the trailer for that. Um, but yeah, just particular movies. It only happens like at a time. I'm probably avoiding two trailers at a time any time in the year. But um, yeah, no, I, I tend to really just enjoy it. It just helps my movie experience. Yeah, so we'll see about Dead by Daylight. All right, so another big thing that happened uh, this last month was the Oscars. And in our first episode, we had some uh, Oscar uh, winner predictions uh, that you gave us, Jay. And some of your predictions, I'd say most of them, well, I think you only made a few. But they were, I think, all correct that you made. I remember your prediction for best film was correct. And and then you also had a... I think it was Best Actor and Actress. One of those two, I think you predicted, and it was right. So you had some pretty good predictions. Um, did you watch the Oscars live? Yeah, I actually had a, um, a little Oscars watch party 
I had everyone dress up in, you know, to the nines, whatever. They had to wear, like, their either tuxes or bun-up or cocktail dress or whatever. Um, I bought fabric for a red carpet to be rolled out. So everyone walked in <laughs> on the red carpet. And uh, I passed out ballots so everyone could vote. And I had, like, these gift sets from movies that came out from the previous year. Like, I did one for Everything Everywhere. I did one for, um, what is it, Puss in Boots. Um, I do uh, a Nope uh, box set too, and quite a few others. But uh, yeah, had a watch party. We watched it live, and it was pretty entertaining. One thing that they did this year that they stopped a few years ago that everyone's so happy that they changed back. Um, they showed off every nomination. Excuse me, every nominee and winner. So what they did previously for a few years is that they only did the quote unquote big nominations and winners, and they would actually just say some of the winners of the other ones they'd be like and the winner for best visual effects is so and so oh and also this movie won best documentary this and this and that and they just like throw that in there it's like wait what like so that not everyone got the spotlight so this year they changed it due to like high fan demand so everybody got a chance to like be shown off and walked up and have a speech that's cool i feel like they would do that too i always thought they would rush uh, awards like that because of speeches taking too long. But I feel like they would decide, okay, we're just going to rattle off these so, winners. So that was a bit of a factor. They did say that like now that since we're doing this, please give a decent amount of time for your speech and not too overly long just because since so many people are going to be walking up here, you know, we want to make sure everybody has a fair chance to be able to talk and whatnot. So that was, that was, that was of course like not obvious, but you know, something that people were considerate of and that was good to see. Yeah. I've always thought instead of doing the like music playoff to try and get people to stop the speech, they should do a trap door <laughs> that just opens up when their speech time is so over. So they did. They did a off. joke that I actually really enjoyed, um, where Jimmy Kimmel was saying that like since all the speeches are going to be shorter, we're going to go not just have music to take you off, but we're going to. And as he's talking, he's trying to say what's happening, and then the thing happens of what should or might happen as the joke. And it is um, one of the song nominations, Natu Natu, where it has a famous dance number. And they came over there. They danced, forced danced them off the stage. And um, it is, um, I just, Natu Natu from RRR was peak, dude. Peak, such a great movie. It is a uh, Bollywood movie that has these uh, visual effects. And it's a, it's a three-hour epic. And it's just absurd and so entertaining and enthralling and fun and I wish it was nominated for Best Foreign Film. It did not get nominated. It was a tough, tough, tough crowd for that one this year. But it did win Best Song this year. And I could not think of any other song that would have gone up against it. Rihanna's song that she did for Black Panther 2 did not beat it. Taylor Swift could not beat Natu Natu. Natu Natu <laughs> was number one the whole way. It had just been sweeping every Best Song category for this whole film season. Nice. And yeah, I saw... So I didn't watch the Oscars live. I watched a recap... Uh, mm-hmm. earlier before a couple days before we recorded this and uh so i did listen to the song and it was i mean i couldn't tell what was going on or what they're singing about mm-hmm. it looked like it was at a wedding but very uh very entertaining oh yeah so the build-up for that is the build-up for that is pretty great so like he his friend is trying to be a wingman for him and he finds out that this girl is like going to a party and got invited to it. it's like oh well we got to dress you up and go and he goes over and there's this um there's this guy that's like why the heck are you here you know you're not like us and he's like, you don't even know how to dance. Do you know how to do the flamenco or the swing? And so um, his homie like starts a song and he's like, no, nah, see, we don't know that. But we know the not to not to, 
which is translated as the local dance or whatever. And they're like, well, what was that? And so they start singing and like dancing and the choreography is so on point. They said that was the hardest part of the movie, the choreography, because the director wanted everything to a T to be like reflected and match amongst everyone for all the dances. And it shows how like painstaking, like all their uh, symmetry is as they're dancing and whatnot. And, um, yeah. And so the whole, all the lyrics is, um, that like, um, you need to dance, dance fierce, like, um, dance fierce, like a viper's bite sting, like a, like a scorpion's tail. You need to move and strike and, uh, come on, come on, white boy, come dance. It's like the main hook of the song. And so, yeah. Oh my gosh. It's so exciting. I get so excited thinking about it. I want to pick it up. There's some really fun dance moves. They really just like, oh, they get, they're so engaging. There, it's actually true that as that movie was being shown in India, there were some people that would literally dance in the theaters with that song that it was so hyped. Wow, that would be amazing to see in person. <laughs> yeah, like they started saying like, come on, let's go dance, not to, not to. And they were like, yeah, and they like got up and they were just dancing with in the theater to the song. I feel like here in America, someone starts dancing in a theater, you're getting the heck out of that movie <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh my uh, gosh. Um, uh, all right. So, uh, you know, we'll just go through uh, some of these and I'll just say what the winner was, what the category was. Mm-hmm. And you tell me, you know, your opinion on it, if you were surprised or not, or uh, if you had a pick that you think should have won. For sure. So we'll go uh, starting off with best sound. Went to uh, Top Gun Maverick, a movie we both stated that neither of us watched. Nope, I have not seen. <laughs> I am not surprised that it won that, though, because I feel for the type of movie that it is, um, you really have to work on trying to get the audience to feel that they are there, especially if they're in the cockpit. Of The, the audience is going to be you know, vicariously in the cockpit with the main character and whatnot. And um, just all the sound effects they need to go through to be able to get someone immersed into there. I feel like that they really need to work on. And I I took a bet in saying, like, you know what? I feel like Top Gun was that. It had the best sound and got everyone to feel like this is what it feels like to be in the seat of a cockpit of, like, a F-150 or I don't know. I think F-150 is a truck, isn't it? I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> darn it. Uh, anyway, like, all these air vehicles. Jets, though, so don't feel bad. Yeah, yeah just I'm as good sorry. as I would have in naming a jet. <laughs> I would have said like F zero or something, but <laughs> uh, like what? Like a F twenty two Raptor? I think that's one actually. I don't know. There's an F something. I know, but I'm not surprised that it won best sound. That's funny. My friend Dylan, that was on the last podcast episode, uh, has his pilot license. Knows a lot about jets. So hmm. He probably will listen to this and laugh at uh, us trying to name <laughs> a jet. But uh, yeah. Um, but Top Gun Maverick, I know, crushed it at the box office. That's always, surprisingly. That's always interesting to me. Uh, what movies win awards versus how they did in the box office. Cause there's some movies that just appeal to the masses that are going to just completely kill it. Like Top Gun Maverick. Um, so it seems like it got kind of like a constellation prize. So, like, so what, it is the Academy just thought, what could we give Top Gun Maverick? So they feel acknowledged. Uh, but they're a really <laughs> tell, successful movie. Tell that to the Elvis fans. Uh, but uh, uh, Top Gun Maverick, you need to remember that when it comes to movies, there are, to my understanding, two big types of films. There are like the types of films that you're going to see that are heavily nominated at the Oscars, which aren't completely obvious. I mean, to be fair, this year was a little different for like the movie that swept. And then you got your uh, popcorn films, as I call them. So movies that are meant to be seen in theaters and are like entertaining. They might not be exactly like deep in story, but they are 
a structurally safe and sound film that intends to excite people. So like the Transformers movies are block are popcorn films. The Marvel movies are popcorn films. They're films that are meant to get you out, meant to excite you. They're not going to be profound or deep, but they are there to meet the quota of checking off boxes for a fan or someone that wants to go to movies. Like, does it look funny? Is it look exciting? As it action, you know, just stuff that's not too much to think about when you're there. And that's 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 totally okay. Not every movie needs to be profound, you know? Like, there's enough... Like, I don't think John Wick is a profound film, but I was entertained to all hell, like, just watching it. I was like, this is exciting. It is absolutely a popcorn flick, in my opinion. Yeah. Is it going to be nominated for Oscar? I really extremely doubt that. I would think maybe Best Cinematography, maybe, at best, nothing more than that. Yeah. And then let's go into uh, Best Production Design, which was All Quiet on the Western Front, which is one that I did watch. Uh, All so Quiet was one of my two S-tier films of last year. Um, out of all the films I watched, I had quite a few Bs, a lot of As, um, fair share of Cs and Ds I'd categorize. But there was only two I said out of all last year were like S-tier so films that were the top two to see that year. That was um, All Quiet on the Western Front and Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yeah, which both of those movies won quite a few awards. Both so. those movies together <laughs> won over half the awards. Yeah. And then Best Costume Design went to Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. That one surprised some people from my group. A lot of people thought it was going to go over to Elvis or Everything Everywhere. Yeah. I... I saw Black Panther as soon as I saw the um, Kuklakan tribe with their lionfish Aztec inspired costume. I knew this was it. This is going to win. This is just such an ingenious just collaboration of culture and just influence of oceanic and Aztec Latinx like mix. And I thought it was just so ingenious. It's like it has to go to this. It's just such an amazing, amazing look. And you know what? And this is great because the first Black Panther film actually also won Best Costume Design when that came out. And that took a lot of the people actually went out to the tribes out in Africa and got influence and spoke to like natives there as far as how they should design their outfits and inspiration. So they continued that trend with Wakanda Forever and it really shows. And so that one also won. So the Black Panther series of films are Oscar award winning films out of all the MCU movies. Yeah, wow, that's amazing. I didn't know that they had uh, the first Black Panther had won that award too. Yeah, so it shouldn't have been that surprising to people. Yeah, I <laughs> they they kept it up. And then best film editing award went to Everything Everywhere All at Once. Absolutely. Um, so funny thing about that. So if you look at a studio movie like Avatar, they probably rented out an entire warehouse of people on their laptops trying to edit the heck out of this movie, make it look visually appealing. I mean, it's not visual effects. It is, it's film editing. Um, everything, everywhere, all at once was edited by five people. <laughs> <laughs> five people who worked on the movie in like 30 days. <laughs> yeah. It is absurd how much... That they got done. And it's a feat in itself. Like even if like something like Avatar got like edited and adjusted and stuff like that. The amount of people that worked on and showed as much of an expanse. As as expansive film as everything everywhere feels. Is awarding and deserving of accolades in of itself. I did watch everything everywhere all at once. Because that was your 
prediction. For what best what did you so think? Like, Be honest. I was like, I have to watch this movie. It was awesome. It was completely <laughs> deserving of every award that it got. Um, I watched part of it with Savannah. Tried to watch some of it. Uh-huh. I wasn't as big of a fan of it. She uh, just not her type of movie. But it is certainly an eccentric film, and it yeah. is not what is typical of Oscar fare. Uh, yeah. It's it it came out during this time of the year. It came out like in late March. Most Oscar films come out during the fall just because they keep up the buzz and the talk, and it's just like the targeted time, fall and winter. Um, it is an eccentric film. It's got its fair share of like humor and silliness, mm-hmm. and it's just completely, it's not like extremely like dark tone dramatic like some other films like Banshees of Irishirian or All Quiet on the Western Front. Yeah. It is a stark outlier compared to like what is typical. And it just swept. Mm-hmm. And it's, in, in all of it, it stayed profound. It had like messages and it just had so many themes. And through yeah. it all, it tries to connect you with all these themes at the same time. But it never feels too overwhelming. It, you're mm-hmm. able to catch up to it. And it it's a rewarding experience to watch that film. Mm-hmm. I totally get people who can't get through some of it and it's not their cup of tea. Like, you know, I'm not going to force anyone to like something as much as I like it. And that is understandable. But for those that are able to get through it and pick up on what the things that it's trying to say is, it is rewarding. Mm -hmm. And I think when regards to the film editing too, I think especially in the beginning of the film, they use so many interesting um, angles and they use a lot of like showing you the camera footage of the security cameras in their laundromat Mm -hmm. and things like that to show kind of subtle changes that were going on. Um, so yeah, real interesting uh, design choices in the editing and stuff. It was really cool. Best cinematography, which I feel like this is a big award to get, was again all quiet on the Western Front. A little surprised on that, but I don't think it wasn't warranted for that one. I believe I put I put Elvis was my nomination for that one. Um, to be honest, I thought Elvis was going to win a few more awards, not because I thought it should, but because I thought that's what the Academy wants. The Academy tends to really lean toward... When a biopic comes out, they are suckers for that. It's um, One example was when uh, Bohemian Rhapsody came out. I don't think that was an amazing film. I thought it was a good film, maybe like probably a great film. I do not think it was amazing. Sammy Ramick really did um, do an excellent job. Um, I do not think it was worthy of a ton of accolades. In comparison, um, Rocket Man, I think, came out around the same time, and I thought that should have won a lot more awards, if anything. Um, but yeah, cinematography, looking at it, it was shown spectacularly, going through the trenches, mm-hmm. just the scene of the carnage and the warfare going on, um, the impending doom of that tank scene when tanks were first introduced into World War One, and Germans were seeing tanks for the first time. Um, a lot of the scenery there was great. So yeah. I thought that was really good that it won. Yeah. And I thought it was surprising how many awards it got because of how horrific the movie was. Like it was a great film and a great anti-war film at depicting, you know, the atrocities <laughs> that occurred in World War yeah. One, but just so bleak and dark. I thought it is very I, visceral. I thought it was going to negatively impact how people voted and decided on what awards um, it should win. But yeah, it ended up winning a lot more. As as a hard, it was hard to recommend it to people after I watched it. It is it is my favorite <laughs> war film of all time. Previously, it was um, Saving Private Ryan, but after that film, it's just so it's so yeah. raw. 
Almost know. two different categories, though, because Saving Private Ryan is like the heroic war story. I mean, there's like horrific stuff that occurs in that movie, too. But the overall, I feel like, tone of it is like these heroes that, you know, overcame yeah. this. No, this, certainly. Um, uh, Steven Spielberg, right? I'm pretty sure, yeah. Steven Spielberg definitely gave it more of a heroic fanfare kind of tone for yeah. it. Whereas this one, this is like, war is awful. And then it's just... Yeah, war is awful. Look at all these awful things happening. You know, yeah. it's certainly like over and over again, and yeah. no redeeming qualities whatsoever at the end of it. <laughs> yeah, but it's it hits you like like a hammer, dude. Yeah. It's just so so raw, or so visceral. And next award, best makeup and hairstyling was the whale. <sighs> so that was a shock. Yeah, because Brendan... I mean, this was competing against movies like Elvis. I mean, it Black was Panther, going to uh, what Black. was some of the other nominees? Uh, another one of the nominees. Way of, the, uh, Way of Water, right? Was No, uh, not the Way no? of Water, I don't think. Um, the other nominee is, oh, what was the one I voted for? Uh, um, All Quiet on the Western Front. I actually nominated that one. There's a scene in there specifically that made me want it to win. Um, the scene where the gentleman, he's in the, the bloody, he's, um, tanks were introduced He's in one of the holes and he goes and he faces off 1v1 someone and, you know, stabs him. And he's hiding from all the Germans because they're all, like, surpassing him and stuff. Mm -hmm. So he's got blood and smoke and mud dried and caked off. And it's all these layers on his face. And I thought that looked absolutely fantastic for the makeup job there. I'm like, this movie has to win makeup for that scene of the way he looks and how everyone looks here. They're just, everyone's just caked with different layers of attention to detail and then it wins to the guy wearing a fat suit. Um, <laughs> so Brendan Fraser, love the guy, super wholesome, deserves as much love and attention as he can. There is some controversy once you put someone in a fat suit. Um, so yeah, to and, and we know largely why it won best makeup. It's because he quote unquote looked good in it and believable. And it's and wore it. I mean, I didn't watch the movie, but he's wearing it the entire movie. Yeah, no, of course, yeah, yeah. He's which is also a challenge to wear it for. It is and the believability of the suit and the the effect to make sure that it looks like that he's you know the suit isn't like melting away because there's some people that you know it just in a plea and not just part of them. He was able to make it look like it was a part of him. Like he is this character. Good for him. I cannot fully endorse letting something like that win best makeup and hairstyling. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's not enough. Like, compared to something like All Quiet on the Western Front, where we just see it across the board, just consistency compared to one Stark's example, I don't think it was deserved, in my opinion. Fair enough. And then we'll go uh, best original screenplay. Everything, everywhere, all at once. No contest. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, everything goes up against... I'm sorry, just no contest. It's yeah. absolutely original. Fun fact, the directors of that movie, do you know that the, they're the Daniels? They're a team of Daniels. Daniel, Kwan, and I forget the other Daniel, but uh, um, I'm pretty sure Kwan was the last name of one. Um, do you know any of their other works? I do not. Swiss Army Man was another one. Do you know that film? No. Never it is a movie where stars Daniel Radcliffe and another guy. Daniel Radcliffe is a farting dead body that the other guy has to use to survive. Uh, he is a Swiss Army Man. That sounds like a, a very indie film. <laughs> so that was one of their other films that they did that they got attention for. 
Prior to that, they, they said um, during interviews, like, yeah, we like doing um, small projects, even commercials and music videos, just because we have so many crazy ideas that we want to put in there. Do you know one of their mu- no, most known music videos that they did? I do not. Turn down for what? <laughs> so yeah, Turn Down for What yeah. was directed by an Oscar award-winning directing duo. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> was that uh, Little John? It's absurd, but... Hey, like <laughs> to think it started from the bottom. Now we're here, you know. <laughs> Not even yeah. the bottom. It's just like started from here, and now look at us holding all these Oscars. Like, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, that song uh, did blow up, though. That was a popular song for a long time. Yeah, uh, but I don't think I've ever seen the music video to it before. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is funny. It's hilarious. All right, and then uh, best visual effects went to Avatar: Way of the Water. I think that was no contest. Like everything up, it was up against. This movie took nine years to work on. Um, well, I mean, congruently or concurrently, they worked on the next three films at the same time to avoid an aging effect, like something like I don't know, um, any movie that's an outstanding series where the characters aren't supposed to be a certain amount of years after. You know, like oh, one month later, but the movie was made like four years later. They wanted to avoid that. It was like, we're just going to record everything in this huge session. (laughs) So like a 10-year session or 13 years, I don't remember how long, but uh, yeah. So they definitely had a ton of technology. Avatar, the first film, was known for its visual effects. Mm -hmm. Started the 3D craze of that era. So I don't think anyone was going to question that way of water was going to win this one. In fact, when I, when it came up at my Oscars party, I joked to everyone was like, all right, everyone got their free space, right? (laughs) It was, (laughs) this was the free space. (laughs) Did anyone at your party not get it? One person did. She also scored the lowest out of everyone. So (laughs) So, so, sorry there. Yeah. I probably wouldn't have done much better. Next one was uh, best documentary, Elephant Whisperer. So this was this, this is another big win for India. This is the first time India has walked away with two wins in the Oscars. This is an Indian film. Um, yeah, it's a documentary about elephants and such. The other win was um, Natu Natu. So huge win! Congratulations for India. We are proud to have you guys. You know, have more wins on your board for this. So big year for diversity this year. Nice. And then uh, best adapted screenplay, Women Talking. So uh, I don't know like, much about this one. Um, I do have a friend who she told me that this was a crazy book that got adapted and it is to a T very accurate in like its depiction of like how things happen in the book and like the tone from the book. But more or less about I think it's like this group that's a I don't want to say Amish, but more or less a they're kind of like a cult, but like a polygamous tribe, whatever. And they find out that the men of the tribe are um very controlling, lying to them, gaslighting, and sexually abusive, amongst others. And they've kind of like have kept that to themselves. And now they're trying to just exodus out of there. Mm-hmm. And so it's like it's the story of them trying to exodus and escape them because to them, they are as abusive, controlling, manipulative as all the men are. They are the providers. So they don't know how to take care of themselves. So, like, that's like the struggle. Yeah. To my understanding, like that's the the film as a um, as a synopsis. But uh, yeah, from my friend who's also follows closely, another f- fellow cinephile, she said that um, this has been just killing in this category, and she knew that it was going to sweep up here. Um, I almost for I think my nomination was uh, also All Quiet on the Western Front, but this one, yeah, no, everyone says that this is a 
excellent adaption from the source material. Yeah, I didn't know All Quiet on the Western Front was a book. It was a book in the 20s. Oh, okay. Interesting. Uh, And then best uh, director... Uh, was for everything, everywhere, all at once. The Daniels. Daniel. I was Schwin- a little surprised. Is that Schwinert? How do you pronounce his last name? Uh, Scheinert. Scheinert. Daniel Scheinert. Yeah. A little surprise on that one. Uh, there was uh, quite a few big names in there. Um, James Cameron. Not James Cameron. Was it James Cameron? No. Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg. He had the Fablemans, who was it was loosely based on his childhood. Um, another thing that the Oscars people like, they like movies that they can relate to, which is typically <laughs> movies about movies and actors. And stuff like that. I was like, oh, yeah. wow, this movie's so relatable. It was like, is it for the general audience? You know, <laughs> yeah. like, is it? So I didn't vote that for it. What I voted for was um, Todd Field for Tar. Tar was another great film that sadly didn't walk away with anything um, alongside Banshees of Ear Sheeran. Uh, Tar is a film about a... Um, some a musician she is an orchestrator and she has such high hubris and manipulative and um it's her spiral descent towards like madness and her trying to grip control things before everything goes to shit and so i thought it was a great film i thought it was a really good film i thought it was just the direction of how everything went and how we viewed it as an experience was great I thought it was either going to go to that or for the Banshees of Yershirin, which was also very excellent. So as much as I liked the directions of the Daniels, I did not fully commit to thinking that they were going to win to that one. I thought, Mm -hmm. I don't think that they have a bad chance of winning. They have a great chance of winning. But I think that the Academy is going to go for one of the other people. Uh, Like I said, I think I went with Todd Field, went to all, um, instead went to Everything Everywhere. I'm not mad. Yeah. I wonder, do you think when a movie wins a lot of categories that it makes it more likely to win another category? Like, is that a common thing that happens in the Oscars? A sweep is not necessarily common. Um, last year, if I'm not mistaken, it was very diverse. I think there wasn't a movie that made more than three wins. Oh, wow. Like last year. Sweeps, um, they probably happen like maybe every five years or so. I don't know. Maybe like twice a decade. This certainly was. Another fun fact about Everything Everywhere, it is the most awarded movie of all time. Oh, really? oh yeah. Uh, we were just talking about this. Over The last one was Return of the King. Yeah, yeah, Return of the King was the last one. This movie has won more awards than any other movie that has ever came out in cinema history. Wow, that's that's crazy. So if that's not incentive enough for someone to go see that movie, I don't know what could entice you. <laughs> Oh, and Daniel Kwan, too, I forgot to mention, because he was... Uh, <laughs> yeah. They um, they went to the same film school, and they worked on projects together, and they just vibed. They're like, hey, you just want to do movies together? And they're like, yeah, <laughs> let's do it. Yeah, well, it worked out for them. They're both named Daniel. Best animated short film? The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and... Man, cut off I've been, the rest of it, so... <laughs> yeah, I've been wanting to watch that one. It looks super cute. I think it's The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and The Horse. Um, it looks super cute. I haven't given it a watch yet. Um, another, the movie I think I nominated for that category was My Year of Dicks, which I think is about a woman who's just going through a bunch of different relationships, about just guys that are all various forms of scummy and stuff. But, uh, yeah, hey, I mean, this one seems kind of wholesome. I'd be down to give this a watch. (laughs) And it's a short animated film, so not a huge time investment (laughs) in it. 
Best original score went to All Quiet on the Western Front. And I remember when I watched All Quiet on the Western Front, the music was uh, ominous. Yeah. The entire time. It never stopped. It's like, man, this is mechanical and full of dread. Yeah. It always gave me that sense of nothing's going to be okay. Yeah. This entire movie with this music. So much (laughs) dread in that sound. I absolutely picked that one for best, uh, best as well. Best live action short film, An Irish Goodbye. Didn't watch that one. Me either. I don't know too much about that one. <laughs> I do know An Irish Goodbye is when you leave without saying bye to anyone. So I'm sure <laughs> the movie has something to do with that. Best uh, documentary feature was... Uh, ah, it's a Russian name. I don't want to mispronounce it. It's okay. it's not Russian. Naval, Navalin? Na- Navalny. Um, it is actually a documentary about... Um, one of the leading men of the uh, Ukrainian uh, war right now. Yeah. I thought it was about someone who was running against Putin. That's why I thought it was a Russian. But maybe I'm confusing no, I'm pretty sure else. he was... Uh, Naval, Navalny is one of the um, the leaders, uh, or was one of the leaders of the, um, the Ukrainian fight right now. Uh, and then best uh, supporting actor went to Ki-Hu Kwan. Dude, I almost cried. When he won, he started talking, and he was just like really emotional, and you could hear his voice like, like trembling and stuff like that, and how just wholesome and, um, yeah, just really thankful for the experience of how he got to this point because he he almost gave up on acting. He hadn't acted in like thirty years. Yeah, I think you talked about that on the first episode that The Goonies was his last film he acted in. Yeah, one of the last. It was mm-hmm. like he was a child actor, and then he came back, and he. Was he, he turned Indiana Jones too. Was yeah, he, he was. Yeah, he was in the second movie. Mm-hmm. A few racist scenes in there. <laughs> There's a scene uh, where he's walking on skulls, I think, in like a temple in the temple, or whatever. And he's like, "Oh, it's like it's they're crunching like fortune cookies." And it's <laughs> mm. oh. yeah. It's now, some rough. of those old movies don't always age well. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, he was extremely wholesome and. Uh, yeah, no, I was choking up. I was choking up just hearing him talk. And is man, it was really well-deserved. There, there could not have been anyone else that would have won Best Supporting Actor. And Best Supporting Actress, a powerhouse Sup- actress, Jamie Lee Sup- Curtis. First win, first nomination, if I'm not mistaken. That actually surprised me. I There was two people from the same movie that got nominated. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis, as well as Stephanie Sue. I thought Stephanie was going to win. She was the leading antagonist of the film. Yeah, the daughter. Yeah, the daughter. I thought she was going to win, and they gave it to Jamie. I am not upset. I'm just surprised. I was like, oh, wow. Uh, To be fair, I think isolating the story that Jamie had with the character of um, that um, Michelle Yeoh played, it's actually just really touching if you just isolate that in itself. It's like... um, seeing the way how she plays her character and the different variants of her character interacting with her it's um she does she does like really nail it but i just felt that stephanie sue she just had so much more to work with and so much to deal with and provide for us in a viewing experience i thought she would have got it but um yeah no went to jamie and good for her she puts it proudly next to her employee of the month award (laughs) that she (laughs) has still has for the movie she sends a picture out to her audiences. This is like one of my top three favorite awards. It's the Golden Globe for this movie. Or excuse me, it was like a Golden Globe. It was the Oscar and it was the Employee of the Month. 
for the movie as well. That's funny. I didn't know. Was that like a joke award on the movie set? Uh, do movies usually give out? No, it's the, the it's the IRS Employee of the Month award that she showed off. Oh, for it. So it's uh, an award on the... It was the, the one that she yeah. points out in the back. She uh, kept it <laughs> and she puts it next to her Oscar. Oh, uh, that's funny. Next one, best animated film, uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Yeah, so another fun fact, Pinocchio won twice. So what I mean by that is, do you know the Razzies? Uh, I do not. So the Razzies are the 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 awards for the worst things for movies of the year. And it is done a day before the Oscars, deliberately. Okay. Um, so as you know, or might remember, two Pinocchio films came out last year. There was the Disney one and the Guillermo del Toro one. Mm-hmm. The Guillermo del Toro one won a Best Animated Feature film. Um, and then the Disney Pinocchio one won the worst <laughs> animated film of the year at the Razzies. So I Pinocchio the one that was made, the Disney one was um, a live action one. Or was it? it it's b- partly live action. Both. So okay. like there were animated characters and stuff in there. But uh, yeah, I, I gave up on Disney's live action movies, so I didn't even bother trying to watch that one. Yeah, so they they gave they gave it to that one. So no, Pinocchio won, walked away with two awards. Um, some interesting things about that: um, Guillermo del Toro is a very particular man in how he wants things to look. It's very obvious from the story I heard about um, uh, Shape of Water. In Shape of Water, he wants since the story involved love love with like the fish creature. Um, he storyboard drew the fish creature himself and would show off pictures of it to his daughter and ask him, would you, do you find this fish man attractive? <laughs> and he kept asking and redrawing until she was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> until it was like, yeah, maybe I could, I could probably work at that or something. So he did something similar to this Pinocchio. I've heard that he, there was a character in here that was like a villain or whatnot and that the character in the claymation, this is a claymation film, so it takes years to work. You could, you'll do a 10 second scene in a week. Like, how long do you stay? These take years. And so this person took like a year just making a model for like the antagonist, like a character. And Game of the was like, I don't think this is the way how I want it to be. You'll need to redo it. <laughs> just, <laughs> just fall apart from the sound yeah. of that. I was like, it took so long to work on this. I'll do it again. <laughs> Oh, but yeah. Those so, are usually the personality types, though, that make the best pieces of art. And Claymation is media. known for just being outstanding, just for the amount of work and effort going in itself. So if you see a Claymation film, odds are it is going to win something. Yeah. Because there's just so much put into it. Um, so obviously, not a whole lot was put into the Disney Pinocchio film, as evident of it winning the Razzie for worst animated. <laughs> uh, but yeah, another fun fact. Uh, a film that was up for best animated feature also was Puss in Boots, The Last Witch. It did not have to go that hard, but it went absolutely hard and was a tough contender. <laughs> In that film, um, there is a character known as uh, Big Jack Horner, who is, uh, as you know, like the... Shrek movies are based off fairy tales and whatnot. Mm-hmm. He's based on solely like a four-lined nursery rhyme. And um, there's a joke in the movie that he gets angry at every magical creature and being because he got shown up when he was young against Pinocchio. So not only <laughs> could the the last wish Puss in Boots not win against Pinocchio for worst film, but neither could it win for best film. So it <laughs> lost p- to Pinocchio twice. Jeez. So it just keeps up the tradition of that character just losing to Pinocchio. Yeah. 
That's funny. Let's see. And then next we have Best International Feature Film. All Quiet on the Western Front. No contest. Yeah. If RRR was up there like the cowards they are, it should have been up there. I think it would have gone to RRR or All Quiet. However, I, I honestly think All Quiet deserved it. Yeah. And if anyone doesn't know, All Quiet on the Western Front is a German film. Best original song we already talked about from Not Too, RRR. Not Too. Yep. Uh, best actress went to Michelle Yeoh. Tough and- choice. Um, it was not as stacked as Best Actor. I thought it would have gone either to Michelle Yeoh or Kate Blanchett. Um, I can't recall if I voted for Kate Blanchett, but it was tough because they had the Golden Globes just like a month and a half prior. Golden Globes are about 48% accurate as far as how they end up doing at the Oscars, if I'm not mistaken. It's like 40, 45% on another. Uh, Kate Blanchett won Best Dramatic Actress, whereas Michelle Yeoh won Best Comedy Actress. So it was like two different things. So it was like a yeah. head-to-head. It was really tough to choose. Uh, Michelle Yeoh did wonderful, though. I'm glad she won. Kate Blanchett also did a fantastic job and not should not be disregarded in her performance in that either. But uh, yeah, Michelle Yeoh, wonderful. Um, she, she's just killing it. Yeah. And it was a hard role, too, for Michelle Yeoh, I feel like. I mean, the versatility it took to, the versatility. to play all those different uh, characters was pretty challenging and awesome to watch. Yeah. Um, best actor went to our, our fat whether, man, Brendan Fraser. Whether <laughs> it was... So, like, this was the fan vote. And I am happy for him that he got it. He, yeah. he, he needs a... Well, I don't want to say he needs a win, but it's great to see him earn a win. Yeah. And um, it was this category was really stacked. You had Brendan Fraser here for the whale. You had um, uh, who else? Um, the gentleman who did Elvis. You had him. You also had um, also um, the lead actor for oh my gosh, why am I forgetting all these actors' names? Oh, the lead was, actor for I, Banshees of Vita Sharon. Colin uh, Colin Farrell. Farrell. Colin yeah. Farrell as well. Yeah, Colin Farrell, Elvis, uh, the whale. Brendan Fraser from there. It was a tough choice in all these, in my opinion. Um, the fan vote was for Brendan, and I'm really happy he did. I would not be surprised if Colin won, though. Um, also wouldn't have been surprised if Elvis won, though, because like I said, the, the Academy just loves biopics. Yeah. And um, everyone was clamoring for Elvis to win. I do not think Elvis should have won a whole lot. There's a couple things I could have seen it win. Um Elvis reverse sweep wins nothing. <laughs> it's kind of funny. <laughs> For how many people were like, Elvis was the best movie of last year. And I'm just like, is it? You know, like, is it? it's a good film. It's great. It's not profound. Um, Brendan Fraser did a profound performance in yeah. uh, The Whale. And I'm, I'm happy for it. And then last one, best picture. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah. Any surprise there? Not surprised was, at yeah. all. That was your pick too. So your prediction was correct for best picture. Everything, everywhere. Like, yeah. I mean, we're getting so many people to resonate and talk about the movie nowadays, and even memes are popping up where people just want to do laundry and taxes with everyone now. And it's, uh, <laughs> how, the, dude. The, so for the awards, they do um, songs. Each of the song nominees will do a live performance of them. And for they did one for Everything Everywhere, where it was one of their songs, and it was hilarious to watch. 
the singer started singing and all of a sudden they start raising their hands. They have hot dog finger hands. Uh, <laughs> Rakakuni comes out in the background and everything is just really surreal experience. And it's, it's this movie, man, it is, I, th- this is an astounding film. We haven't had a film like this in like 10 plus years. It is going to leave its mark in the film industry and it is, I think it's going to stand the test of time, honestly. Yeah. And if you haven't seen it, you probably don't understand what Hot Dog Fingers or Raccoon is, but you'll have to watch it for yourself to, to figure out what those references are. But yeah, I, it was such a unique film and took something that's been done so many times, an alternate universe storyline, and just completely made it their own unique story. And yeah. That was really, uh, I'm glad that of all the movies you recommended to me to watch, that was the one that I picked to do. So yeah, that was all the Oscar winners. Um, now we're uh, in April now, so fourth month of the year. Uh, any movies you think coming out this year that are going to be uh, nominated for so any Oscars? Early talks. I'd say the strongest contender early talk right now, Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. I don't think I've heard of that one. What's... So Oppenheimer is like a biopic. I don't know how accurate it is, but it's a biopic about the guy who created the atom bomb. Oh, okay. So it is about the scientists. I think even Einstein's like in it for a bit. He's like conversing with Einstein how to like work with molecules and like equations like that. But it's about creating something that can change the world or end the world. Yeah. They even discuss there's this whole ominous dread for the film and just like i think even the trailer has like a ticking clock whatever and um he's trying to create like the atom bomb so that they could the military could utilize and stuff and they are trying to work towards the first test of it i think is like the climax of the film that they're trying to push off and they're saying like yeah um this thing we don't know if it will stop and they're like what it's like yeah it's supposed to you know like interact with the molecules around the air and cause an explosion but we don't know what is the limit of this like is it going to be like a room size is it going to clear and level a city like what is the result and it's just looks like it's going to be a very serious very just dramatic film with that being said i am not the hugest christopher nolan fan I, it's not because i don't think he has great films he's done films like interstellar he's done inception the dark knight trilogy mm-hmm. uh, tenet he just has a style that i cannot attune myself to yeah it's sometimes it's hard to follow in some of his movies his is. movies i feel are hard to follow and it, i feel like they expect a lot of me for like as i watch <laughs> yeah. to like keep up with and I mean, you're watching the film, you know, you should expect to keep up. It's just, it's done in a way that I feel kind of stupid for not knowing everything that's happening sometimes. Yeah. And I felt like that a bit for Tenet. To be fair, yeah. Tenet is a bit perplexing in itself, but I even felt like that when he did Dunkirk, which is another one of his last films that was like a high accolade film. Yeah. I, I just couldn't, I had a hard time following. Yeah. I remember with Tenet, I remember when a scene in the movie where the uh, scientist is kind of explaining how what well, how everything works in the movie with like the time travel aspect of it and uh i never he asks washington asks a question and he's uh her response is uh if you think about it um 
it makes sense. Or if you don't think about it, sorry, it makes sense. So yeah. I was like, okay, so I'm I'm just going to go through this movie not thinking about it and just enjoy the cinematography of the movie and not try and wrap my head around this confusing idea of, of time travel that they've created. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> hype, hype is up for that movie. That is currently one of the leading contenders for what may possibly be uh, an Oscar-nominated film. Um, I don't know if I'm going to watch it just because my track record with watching Nolan films, but, um, you know, all for him if he does come out with, uh, with a banger, you know? Yeah. <sighs> All right, it's time for 20 questions, video game character edition. Now, Jordan is currently leading the leaderboard with his one win uh, on the first episode of uh, Guessing Cortana Correctly. At a nail-biter finish. Yeah, asked, used all 20 questions and was also fed misinformation about <laughs> the character and still managed to get it, so that was really impressive. Um, but on this segment, uh, Jordan's going to try and guess a video game character that I've picked out by asking me 20 yes or no questions. And I'll answer yes or no to the best of my ability, or I don't know. Um, but if I feel like you need uh, a little more uh, information or maybe a little bit of a tip, I'll try and give one. But I'm going to try not to give out too many tips because then I, I feel like I give it away when I do that. But whenever you're ready, you can begin questioning. Whew, okay, no pressure. Just got to keep up the track record. All right, so let's start off by saying, is this character... The main okay, so I, I want to ask a question that I off me this I don't want this count for my question, but is this are are your all your questions going to be main characters? All the characters that I pick, yeah. Oh, I want to know this beforehand. No, it can be any character that's appeared. Okay, in okay. You know what? Yeah, we won't. We should won't. Have answered. Cortana wasn't. I mean, technically, she's a main character. Okay. Anyway, let's go ahead. Let's go ahead. Okay, was this character? Part of a remaster or remake? Uh, no, but they were a port. But I don't think the game was remade or remastered, okay. but ported to other consoles. Okay. Somewhat no. Gotcha. All right. Is this a first-person shooter game? No. Does Are guns the primary weapon in the game? Or are, are, are guns and... Weapons used primarily. Yes. Okay. Hmm. You said guns and weapons, right? Yeah, guns okay. and weapons. Yeah. Is it from... Are they from a sci-fi game? Yes. Okay. Is this game considered an RPG? Yes. That's five. All right. I think I might know already. Is the main character customizable? Yes. Okay. All right. Okay. I have an idea. We are going to say... Does your character talk? Does this character or the character you play in the game? Sure. Does this character talk? Yes. Okay. Okay, yeah, that's a good question. Is this a main character? Yes. Okay. Is this a game from Bioware? Yes. That's 10. Okay, cool. Right on. Did this game originally come out for an Xbox console? Yes. Okay. 
So that gives me an idea. There's a couple of Bioware games that did originally come from an Xbox console. We can narrow it down to a couple. What's the best way of asking generally? Is it a Star Wars game? Yes. Okay. But now who? Oh, God. Um, is this character female? Yes. Is it Bastila? You got it. Is yes. It <laughs> there we go. That was impressive. 13 <laughs> questions to get Bastila. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Knights of the Old Republic came out in 2003, originally on the Xbox, which I didn't know that. I thought it was also a PC release, but mm, it was an original Xbox. Xbox. They later Xbox ported original. it to PC. Yeah. Dude, um, we had an announcement for like the remake, and then like they're like, oh, it yeah. might not actually happen. And I'm like, what? So like, ah. Yeah, I can't remember the name of the company that was developing the remake, but they had done ports before. Mm -hmm. I think they might have even done the port for the iPhone for KOTOR. (laughs) How many times is the council (laughs) going to lie to me, Kevin? (laughs) But uh, I think they they had done ports before and they never remade a game and they realized like this is a lot of work. I think that's why they ended up disbanding it. God. But yeah, I don't think I don't know if we'll ever see. Uh, I'm sure at some point we will because I feel like re remakes and remasters are uh, really popular right now. Yeah, so they're pretty hot. It's only a matter of time before Kotor gets that treatment. We need it. Yeah, but I don't know. Bioware is, you know, not the same Bioware it used to be. So maybe we won't ever see it. <laughs> yeah, <but>. they're under <laughs> EA's thumb. So yeah. Uh, but wow, that was really impressive to get it in 13 <laughs> questions. I thought it was going to be a Mass Effect question. <laughs> I was, it was initially, a, but yeah, it was, was a like, hard pick for you for this one. I wanted, uh, I'm, I'm still trying to softball it a little bit for people because okay. this is a hard game. No, I don't think this was a softball. I, this is this is a little scary to go for like Bastila, but yeah. just the way how I was. But able you didn't to get any tips either. I mean, you asked really good questions. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised you didn't start with the male or female question. You didn't ask that till the very end. But was there strategy in that, or did you just? Um, kinda. I figured if I just define the game enough, it will help determine what the characters might be. So, like, asking the standout, because male and female, sure, that kind of splits it up. But, I mean, if we it's already confirmed that it's not a main character or can be not a main character, that doesn't really help. But, yeah, but 13 questions. I think that's, that's going to be tough to beat, I think. That's <laughs> a pretty low amount of questions to ask to get a video game character. So we'll, we'll have to see if anyone's able to top that. I'm on the I'm on the top of the leaderboard <laughs> twice. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I think that's it for this episode. So, yeah. any uh, last shout outs you want to give right now, or uh, you know, say hi to your family? Uh, <laughs> uh, any last any projects Jedi. you're working on right now? Not last Jedi. Sorry, the Star new Star Wars game that's looking fun. Movies I'm excited for. Evil Dead Rise. Can't wait to give that a watch. Um, cosplays. Um, not too many right now. There's some on the back end. Um, Saga comic I'm reading. Um, I'm excited for the next chapter coming out this year uh, this week. Um, got a book club going for that. Super excited. We're nice. all talking about it. But uh, yeah. Got some other little small things here, but hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm glad I'm able to share this time with you, man. Yeah. If anyone wants to check out your cosplay, where can they find you at? Um, Instagram, best place, Camospark, uh, K-A-M-M-O-S-P-A-R-K. Nice. And do, do you do any Twitch streaming still? Uh, no, my girlfriend does that. 
Oh, okay. What does she stream on Twitch? Um, she did the entirety of Kingdom Hearts games. Recently, she's doing a Sims Legacy where she has like a, a theme story of like uh, Greek gods and whatnot. So she's doing like their theme. All her characters are themed around like Greek mythology. And she also does some other games on the side. Um, Disney Dreamlight, Fortnite, puzzle games every now and then. She really likes puzzle games. So, yeah. Wow. I never knew that. Although I don't know much about the librarian other than her career. <laughs> um, that's cool. What's her Twitch uh, channel or name? Yeah, it's Kali Kala, K-A-L-I-C-A-L-A. All right, right on. I'll definitely have to uh, check out her channel. For sure, yeah. Give her a follow. She'll enjoy it. Thanks for joining our party this month. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you'd like to find out more information about the show or stay up to date on our latest episodes, you can follow us on our social media pages. You can find the details in the episode description, as well as all the links to the articles we discussed for this episode. If you'd like to message me directly, you can email me at gatherpartypodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are released on the last Tuesday of every month. I hope you join us for next month's episode. And remember, friends, it's only screen peeking if you get caught.